We're live. Okay, great. I'd uh, like to welcome everyone to the uh, City of Alameda Planning Board meeting for February 14th, 2022. Happy Valentine's Day. If um, could have uh, Vice President Reese lead us in a flag salute. Sure. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God. Reporting in progress. Teague. Here. Vice President Rees. Here. And President Sahaba. Present. And we have a full full board. Thank you. Okay, great. Okay, are, uh, would anyone like to have any agenda changes or discussion before we get started? No? Okay, seeing none. Okay, oral communications. Uh, anyone may address the board on a topic that's not in the agenda under this item by raising your hand. Uh, and you have a three minute time limit. Uh, has anyone raised their hand? Currently, no one is raising their hand. Okay, so we'll close oral communications. Um, there's nothing on the consent calendar. We'll move to regular agenda items. Uh, first agenda item, 7A. This is a design review amendment for the 1051 Harbor Bay Parkway uh, Hotel. And will there be a presentation on this amendment? Uh, yes, a brief presentation by um, Henry Dong, our planner three. Okay, great. Good evening, uh, President Saheba, members of the board. I'm Henry Dong with the Planning, Building, and Transportation Department. And um, this is uh, an amendment to the previously approved design review approval to allow minor modifications to the architectural design approved for the five-story hotel located at 1051 uh, Harbor Bay Parkway. So this hotel was originally approved um, back in October of 2020, and the project took a pause uh, the past couple of years, but the applicant is now hoping to uh, begin construction in uh, the second quarter of this year. Um, of all of the three hotel projects that were um, approved in recent years, this project will be the first to move forward uh, to construction. Uh, but before they're able to do that, uh, Hilton has requested some modifications to accommodate additional floor space needed for their new product type. Um, the minor modifications are proposed on the southwest and southeast elevations of the building and will allow the applicant to be able to accomplish Hilton's request um, while simplifying the building lines to make sure that they are able to meet the modular construction requirements of the hotel. So if the planning board is, uh, approves the uh, project tonight, the applicant will be able to move uh, to the building permit stage. Um, overall, the maximum number of rooms uh, building colors, exterior uh, materials will all remain consistent with what was approved in 2020, and all previous conditions of approval will still apply. 
so staff supports the design changes and we're recommending the planning board approve the change by motion. Um, and that concludes uh, my presentation. And we also have the applicant and architects uh, available tonight to help answer questions. Okay, thank you, Henry. Uh, before we open it up for public comments, uh, if anyone on the board would like to ask any clarifying questions um, to Henry or the applicant, uh, please raise your hand. Uh, board member Hong. Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you, staff, for the presentation. Um, my main question was, and I meant to pull up the minutes from the, this meeting when we uh, recommended approval of the project was there were some design changes that we deferred to staff to work further with the applicant to resolve. And I seem to recall that we asked for the corner of the building, uh, since this is a prominent kind of entry location to be further enhanced. Uh, what, what what's, the, what's the outcome of those discussions? Um, yeah, we are um, still working with the applicant on that. They weren't able to um, finish that for this meeting, but um, as mentioned, all the previous conditions of approval apply, so they'll still be required to um, to meet that condition. Okay, so is, is it's not an item that they've addressed yet, but they've kind of proposed these changes first? That's right. They, uh, we haven't have, had a final um, resolution to that uh, condition yet. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks. Uh, Vice President Ruiz. Um, thank you, staff. And I had along the similar line, I have the same question. I believe I was the long descending vote on the previous um, um, resolution. Um, for the concern of why I requested that um, sunshades being provide, provided at south, southern, and, and western exposure. And again, I didn't have a chance to go back to the meeting minutes, but it appears that they, that had, item has not been addressed, correct? Have they addressed yes. any of the design uh, request? No, uh, they have not yet. They will. Um prior to building permits, but um, but yeah, that, does, that, that doesn't show on the plans tonight. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, would anyone else like to comment? Or sorry, not comment, really any questions or clarifications uh, from the board? Okay, seeing none, we'll open this up for public comments. If um, anyone in the public would like to speak on this item, please raise your hands and we can call upon you um, to speak. Do we have any speakers? Currently no one's raising their hand. Okay. Uh, seeing that we have no speakers um, on this item, we'll close the public section of this and um, continue with board deliberations. Uh, if you'd like to uh, speak on this item, please raise your hand. I see board member Curtis. If we approve this, with all the time that's gone by, there hasn't been anything done with the, the conditions that we put in, in terms of the enhancement of the corner and the elevations. What assurances do we have 
that this will be done um, in the future. This is a, how, what control is there that the, the, the changes will be made that were recommended by the planning board? If we approve this thing, does it just go forward and, and who makes the decision of whether or not these, these changes are acceptable or not? That's my question. Um, if I may just jump in there and kind of address a couple of things. So um, I think as Henry indicated earlier, uh, I think during the pandemic, we never thought that this would project would be moving forward. I think all of the hotels that the plan board has seen in the last two, three years, uh, all of those projects were dead. We thought this one was um, going to, to uh, also be affected by the pandemic as well. But um, we were surprised when the applicant reached out to us. We were pleasantly surprised. But uh, when they reached out to us um, to tell us that they're moving forward and they wanted to make some of the modern minor modifications, um, we had identified these as items that had to come back to the planning board. On the corner design, I think there were some preliminary discussions about what that could look like. And I think um, the planning board tonight, I mean, this is design review. Um, you're, you're certain, if you feel like you know that is something that um, you wanna give more direction to staff, um, you could certainly do that tonight. Um, but the, uh, the board member, Curtis, to answer your question more directly, um, the previous approval had delegated it, uh, the, the responsibility for the review of the conditions to staff. So basically, when the uh, building permit drawings are submitted to the permit center, they'll be sent to staff for review. We would be reviewing the final design before signing off. But uh, tonight, you actually get to see uh, some of the other changes um, as well. And uh, uh, does that answer the question board member Curtis. Yeah. Well, I was satisfied with the design, but but my my fellow board members seem to had had a concern, and if that concern is there, and they're they're good architects, that was helpful. That it, it should be implemented, and and just to, to put the time in to make the suggestion, and then to have it go on, have it going with nothing to have it ha constructive happening doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and that's that's why I brought it up. Yeah. So. Right. So anything that the planning board want to condition the design review uh, tonight, we would, uh, staff would be looking for those final details as part of building permit drawings, the construction drawings for the hotel. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, board member Curtis. Uh, I don't see any other hands raised at the moment. I'll, I'll just add, I believe, uh, well, th thanks for the update, Henry, and, and um, appreciate that the applicant is looking to move forward with this project. Uh, I think I may have been a dissenting vote at the time as well, and I think uh, it's great that this is coming back to us to look at the updates that they're looking to make based on uh, construction documents that they've been developing. I do think that in, in making these minor updates, which, which I don't find... Um, drastically substantial enough to you know, warrant any um, further action on, on our part. I do think though, the fact that this is a gateway site that we cited at, um, at, at the original design review, and I think as, as has been raised, um, being able to see how they are addressing this, this corner specifically, uh, I, I think is critical. So. I would recommend uh, putting a condition on the design review to be able to 
bring this back as they as they update this. And it's um, I, I know we left it with staff to take a look at this, but um, as I think we've all realized, it's been a few years and things have changed, um, and there's probably changes that have happened in their own uh, strategy of how to build the building that may impact the final resolution of, of the quarter condition since we last met. Uh, so I, I would vote for a, approval of, of this modification with also um, uh, a condition for us uh, seeing what happens at the corner as, as they develop it with staff's input. Uh, may I ask if the uh, applicant or the architect for the project is um, online? There's someone in the uh, attendees who seemingly want to speak that look like the applicant. What yeah, could we, could we please promote them to panelists and let them speak? Yeah, I just want to give them an opportunity to respond to some of those questions because I I do believe there's been discussion about the design at the corner, and just to make sure that uh, the applicant gets sufficient direction. Uh, can everyone hear me? Yes. Oh, great. Um, again, happy new year to everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> and more importantly, thank you all for taking the time to look at this project. Um, as Henry and Alan had shared earlier, them, we had this project um, kind of dangling for a little while during the pandemic, but now we've come back to revive it. Um, the point of concern or question is that front, um, I guess, uh, elevation, I think it's the southeast, southeast one that comes in off of Harbor Bay. And so that's one area that we've been going back internally in our team. And we are going to do something that's a little bit more robust than what you're seeing right now. Uh, today's meeting was specifically about some rooms that had to be oriented for windows and whatnot. So that could be construction, it can be in, it could be constructed correctly, but uh, we are going to do something that has um, some kind of work of art or something that has a, a really eye-catching, um, you know, just something that's going to really be an impact to the entry of that area. So we are still working on that. Uh, there's been some internal discussions again about how we're going to create something that would be on that side that would really create some articulation, maybe with some even some lighting of such. Um, understanding the airports nearby, but doing something that would be really just focal. So as people are driving by, they're going to go, wow, this is the entry. So we aren't going to leave it the way it is. We are intended to do something. It's just that due to the time constraint and us wanting to get the construction document started, we wanted to get these room elevations and these room pop-outs addressed so we can start that due to we're doing a modular design. Um, the time frame it takes to get modular going is a little bit lengthier initially. So we'd like to get that started and then concurrently in parallel, we'll work with the team and share with you what our vision is on that section right there. Does anyone have any questions regarding any of the uh, designs we've shared so far? Uh, board member, huh? Yeah, um, thank you, um, Mr. Patel, for that explanation. So what time frame are you thinking uh, that you'll be able to submit some uh, concepts or a proposal for revising that corner elevation? Um, we, we are going to take advantage of um, the timing it's taking to get the building department um, drawing set up. So we're trying to get this done in the next 
you know, 60 days at least, if not sooner. I'd like to get it um, to some conceptual idea to send to the planning um, department first, and then definitely for your review uh, again, again at this meeting or in individually whatnot. But we will do some type of renovation or elevations that kind of share a little bit about that look. So it's something that's on the forefront. Before we pull building permits, of course, we have to get it done. And our intent is to pull building permits by, you know, depending on how things go, maybe um, mid-second quarter. So June issues when like to get it done. So this will be done in prior of that. Okay, thank you. Okay. Thank, thank you for the explanation and description. So, um, Alan, if we were to just put a condition on this approval to be able to see the progress that uh, Mr. Patel and his team are going to make on the project uh, as, as they make it in the next 30 to 60 days. Um, I think at least we could give them confidence if, as far as I'm saying, as a condition of approval to move forward with their current request uh, and then see the proposed outcome of uh, what they're doing at the corner. Yeah, it is. Uh, south elevation. Yeah. Right. It sounds like the applicant at this point wants um, just some clear direction. Um, so what we present tonight would be uh, are the changes to the exterior elevations. And Henry, please jump in if if I'm missing anything here. And um, they're it's and um, they're also revising the the corner. And um, one thing I just also want to note is that the project is subject to a public art obligation. So I believe the public art piece is also probably part of the consideration for the design of that corner. Um, which uh, I believe previously the planning board had discussed. Remember, we're talking about the corner that is facing Harbor Bay Parkway, the entrance and gateway into the city. So there's there's some synergies there between public art and the, and the design of that elevation. Okay. Um, I guess, Director Thomas, you have your hand raised. Yeah, no, I just, um, thank you, President. Uh, one option might be for the sub, if you for your consideration, um, just given the timing, we'd like to keep them moving as quickly as we can. This might be a good um, role for a um, ad hoc committee of the planning board, um, who who are those of you who are, might be interested in meeting with us and the applicant as they're developing their, their construction drawings. I think what we wanna avoid is a cycle where we, schedule it for a planning board meeting, there's comments, and then maybe there's a, a need to see it again, better to have an, op if, if there's a subgroup of the planning board that would like to review the plans before they get, before we sign off on the building permit. Um, and if the full board is comfortable with that, it certainly would work for staff and I'm sure the applicant. Short of bringing it back to the whole planning board. Sure. And holding up yeah, and I... with the cycle and trying to get the building permit issued. Right, and we have other agenda items that I'm sure we'll continue to have scheduled for the planning board that, um, and, and original approval was for them to work with staff on this as it was. So uh, I like the suggestion of an ad hoc committee if um, the board is in favor of that. Would anyone like to make a motion of how to proceed or I can? I'll make the motion. So I'll move to approve it as submitted with the condition that, that the um, refined uh, design options for the corner come back to a um, working group with staff um, 
before the design is finalized and submitted for permit. Is that that's what we just discussed? Did I catch it all? Mm. And I'll second that motion. Okay, so we have a motion by board member Rothenberg and a second by Han. Uh, is there any further deliberation or discussion on this before we vote? Uh, President Sahaba, um, yes. Would the board like to select the the subcommittee? It would be three members of the board. Uh, sure. Your, First, I'll, I'll ask ask for volunteers on the subcommittee um, who would like to join that committee. I'll I'll, I'll volunteer myself. Uh, Vice President I'll, Ruiz. I'll volunteer as well. Okay. Do we have a third member that would like to join? I see, um, Board Member Ham, you're you're muted, but I believe you're. Yeah, I was about to say, if no one else steps forward, I'm happy to be that third rail or third member. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Alan, I think these are the three individuals that'll be on the subcommittee. Okay, so there's a motion and a second. Let me know when you want to call the vote. Let's go ahead and call the vote. Okay. Board member Cisneros? Aye. Curtis? Aye. Hom? Aye. Rothenberg? Aye. Vice President Rees? Aye. Teague? Aye. And President Sahaba? Aye. And that motion passes unanimously. Okay, great. Thank All you. Right, let's, thank you. Thank you um, to the applicant. All right, let's let's move on to the next item, item 7B. Uh, this is a design review and development plan amendment for 2607-2619 Santa Clara Avenue and 1514 through 1518 Broadway. And it looks like we have a presentation on, on this item. Henry Dong's going to give the presentation. Yep. Uh, Henry Dong, Planning, Building, and Transportation Department. So uh, I'm going to give a brief background to the project, and then the applicant and the architect will present the uh, new site plan and design. Um, before we uh, get started, though, um, I wanted to make a correction to condition number nine. Um, this condition states that the project on the first line states the project shall provide 12 short-term and 12 long-term bicycle parking spaces as required by the AMC. Uh, that's actually incorrect. Um, the project is only required to provide uh, two short-term uh, bike parking spaces and uh, eight long-term bike parking spaces uh, by the AMC. So I wanted to uh, recommend the board um, update this condition to reflect the AMC requirement. So the um, request tonight is um, design review to approve the architecture of the building and development plan amendment to approve the uh, revised site plan that replaces the uh, stacked parking structure and one townhome dwelling 
with a surface parking lot and revised open space plan. And staff is recommending approval of the uh, development plan amendment and design review application as outlined in the uh, draft resolution. So the project is uh, located on the corner of Broadway and Santa Clara Avenue. Um, the board uh, first uh, reviewed this project in April of 2020 when the applicant requested a tentative map and development plan to subdivide the uh, 1.29 acre parcel um, and construct four new detached single family homes in the area um, that is uh, occupied by the tennis court and uh, basketball courts here. Um, the board at that time suggested the applicant uh, reconsider the proposal and take a look at adding additional units through uh, density bonus application. So in um, November 2020, the planning board reviewed um, a revised project and uh, approved a density bonus and development plan application for nine uh, townhomes and recommended the city council approve the tentative map to subdivide the uh, property into 12 lots. And then in January of 2021, the city council approved uh, that tentative map. So the uh, approved development plan included uh, a two-story stack parking structure containing mechanical lifts to accommodate the parking spaces serving the development. Um, since the city council passed, um, since then the city council has passed an ordinance in, in 2021 eliminating minimum parking requirements, and the applicant wishes to uh, revise the plans to eliminate the stack parking structure and go with a more traditional uh, surface parking lot design. Um, the change to a surface parking lot um, would require a reduction of one new residential unit to make everything fit within the um, condensed space. But overall, the revised site plan will provide a more uh, open site design and the development will still uh, provide twice as many units as when the board first saw this project almost uh, two years ago. Um, so the revision and the new buildings are consistent with the development standards required by the property. And the project meets the uh, maximum parking requirements in the AMC and no longer need a density bonus waiver for parking requirements. Um, all other waivers and concessions that uh, were granted remain the same. So in conclusion, uh, staff believes the uh, design review and development plan amendment uh, plans are consistent with the general plan, the zoning ordinance, and the objective design review standards. And so staff is recommending the board approve the project based on the findings contained in the draft uh, resolution. That uh, concludes um, staff's portion of the presentation. Uh, if there are any questions, we can have the applicant present. Okay, thank you, Henry. So, so the applicant is not presenting. It was just the staff presentation. Okay. Uh, yeah, this was just the staff. Presentation. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, yes, board questions and clarifications. Board member T. Uh, thank you, uh, Henry. The number of affordable units will stay at two. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Vice President Reese. Um, Henry, thank you for the presentation. Um, quick question regarding, there appears to be some discre discrepancy between the 
architecture and landscape um, site plan versus um, civil's um, um, stormwater control plan. Um, in terms of where the extent of the permeable pavers are, as you come into the parking area, um, I, some are showing that the architecture and the landscape showing that only showing only the parking stalls are permeable pavers, and yet in the um, stormwater management plan and all the civil site plan showing the entire area as pavers. So, uh, which is correct. Maybe um, we can have the um, applicant come and help answer that question. Um, Henry, who should Dan? we who should we promote? Dan. Um, let's promote Stefan and Dan. Oh, Stefan, Stefan and Dan. Okay. Good evening, board. I'm Stefan Schnitzler with Granite Development. Um, on that item, I'm trying to find the, the specific sheets, but uh, we did update, uh, I believe in the last round, uh, the civil sheets uh, to uh, um, basically extend the, uh, the asphalt through the center of the drive aisle. So only the parking spaces would be the permeable uh, pavers. We we're trying to get uh, a more durable surface in the center of the drive aisle uh, for the uh, garbage truck. Uh, coming in and out. Public Works had commented about uh, the, the garbage trucks uh, going down um, that aisle and, and some traffic there, and we had enough room under our C3 calculations to keep it all under the 10,000 uh, square feet of uh, impervious surface to uh, flip that uh, asphalt in the center. Okay, so the um, so the architecture and the landscape plans are correct, and the civil needs to update all their drawings. Uh, you look at, if you look at all the civil drawings from um, page three, four, all of civil's background is showing that the center drive aisle is still permeable. That just need to be correct. The land, the, the landscape, landscape and architecture is showing just the parking stalls as permeable pavers. Correct. The, the civil sheets would be updated uh, under a substantial conformance uh, finding as part of uh, the construction documents. Thank you. Thank you, uh, board member Curtis. I've got, I got a couple of questions. First one is, um, where are the mailboxes? I don't. Uh, Rick Stowe, our landscape architect, is not was not able to join us uh, this evening. But uh, my, I suspect that we will end up having a clustered mailbox within the uh, center drive aisle, um, and then uh, probably either a package um, uh, kind of enclosure for secured package delivery, or the packages will be able to get delivered to each door. And where would that be located? 
I think that's a good question. I think we'd have to, to find a spot for, I suspect it would probably be uh, at that Southeast corner, uh, uh, close to uh, building 11 or directly at the end, uh, uh, at the end of the drive aisle on a location that would be convenient for uh, the post office. Okay. All right. My, my second question is that um, if you look at the elevation, it shows that the the bathroom windows on the on the closest on, on the elevation shows that there's a bathroom window um, because the bathrooms are in the middle. What gets light in the middle units? Do they have windows or skylights to give light to the bathrooms in the middle units of all these units that are coming across? Um, you've got it. You know, the first unit shows light to the outside, but where does where does the light come from in the bathrooms on the on the interior units? Well, on on uh, the main floor, um, you know, the the door is is uh, or the the door does is meant to is lined up with the window the exterior windows uh, to line up to get some internal light that way. On the upper floor, uh, you know, that bathroom faces the hall, so it's a little more difficult uh, there. I think we could look at adding skylights, but I suspect it would conflict with uh, potential solar requirements. Okay, so there aren't any there aren't any windows in the interior bathrooms on the middle floor, other than the end units. There are not no. Okay. Um, and you are the the roof don't show it, but there's going to be solar on the roof. Yes, it's required for anything three stories or less. Okay. Um, let me see, just a minute. Okay, on, on, on the unit two, the 188 uh, unit for handicap, um, it, shows, it shows the sink allows room for somebody to go under the sink, but it doesn't show that in the bathroom and it doesn't appear that there's enough room in the layout in the bathroom of that unit. Is that just done for, for a place, a place setter, or is that is that really the final design? Because it doesn't appear that the um, that unit that unit will take what it's supposed to take. I can let Dan Hale with uh, Hunt Hale Architects chime chime in if need be. But uh, to be clear, uh, we uh, use the concession for the universal design requirement. Uh, so. Uh, these are every unit uh, meets the universe the visibility uh, requirements, but we conceded out of uh, the universal design requirement. So there's okay, so there are no the, the one unit that's that's designated unit two of building one is not necessarily what it, it is on the plan. Uh, I'm not seeing that they're they're all they're all visible, meaning that uh, they all. Be accessible and have accessible bathrooms on the ground floor, uh, but they don't uh, have to have uh, ADA accessible kitchens and uh, common areas. Uh, okay, but but the plan showed unit two of building one as an ADA unit. Uh, I think let's go, on, let's go on to the next question. Um, yeah, the placement, the placement of the trash. Um, 
the location of the trash bins. So the people who want to, to take out their trash are gonna take them out from the furthest unit and walk almost um, 50 yards to go to the trash bin to, to be able to do that. Uh, do you see the flow of the trash from the units to the to the trash collection site? I do. I think part of this uh, was, you know, we, we sent out the revised site plan uh, to all board members uh, last summer, and uh, some of these changes were tweaked specifically in response to, to board member uh, comment. We previously had the, the trash and the bike uh, enclosures uh, directly uh, at the south end of building uh, A, but uh, in an effort to get more contiguous uh, open space, as well as to improve uh, kind of the entry sequence and get uh, you know, better landscaping and, and, and contiguous open space uh, up where you come in, uh, we flip them. It's certainly, certainly, okay. This is just questions. And my last question is when you, when you did took into consideration the play area for the, for the children, where you have the, the play area and the, the existing units, that, play, that large play area is underneath two existing units and contiguous to those units. Was any consideration given to the noise that's gonna be created from those units up to the, to the existing units when those kids are playing? The, yes, uh, it was. I mean, the, the play area is, is mostly a passive play area with uh, some, uh, you know, kind of uh, low liability uh, built-in uh, areas for, for kids there. The, the play area was specifically a condition of approval on uh, from the tentative map and for, from our prior development plan uh, approval. It is accessible not only by uh, the lot 12 uh, parcel, this, this new townhome development, but is also accessible to uh, all the other uh, parcels, the other 11 parcels that are currently, you know, part of uh, this project. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate your answers. Thank you. That's all for me. Oh, I see a hand raised. Um, Dan Hales raised his hand. Do you have further comments on the questions, Mr. Hale? Good evening. Uh, thank you. Um, Dan Hale with Hunt Hale Jones, the architect. Um, I have a couple of additional slides and a short presentation if you're interested. Otherwise, I'm very happy to answer any further questions. Uh, sure, it probably will inform ourselves and the public if you could share your slides and presentation. Can you see my screen? Did I do that correctly? Uh, we, we don't see your screen, but I'm not sure if we need to enable about, that. Is that better? Yes. Thank you. I'm, I'm still getting comfortable with the Zoom meetings and sharing things. Um, this is a screenshot and maybe Stefan might wanna come back in and talk about this, but this is a, a screenshot of the previous proposal where uh, on the left-hand side of the screen would be Broadway and the entrance to the project in this area. And this was the previous parking structure. And this is where we had nine units. And just for a, a reference point, this is kind of the same screenshot, 
but it shows the elimination of the parking structure and service parking. And I think it kind of speaks to how it kind of opens up the site plan here in the middle. Um, uh, so we wanted to point that out. And uh, I don't know if Stefan has more to speak about that. He can raise his hand, but we thought this would be a pretty descriptive um, example of, of the change uh, that we made for the parking. I believe you, you're obviously familiar with, this, with the site. Um, what I wanted to point out in this particular instance is, is as you know, it's kind of a, a flag lot. It's surrounded by existing residential. And these are the photographs of the homes in the area. And you know, we took um, uh, a great deal of time to kind of study the architecture and have it influence um, our design, whether it was the materials or the colors of kind of earth tones and neutrals or the roof pitches. So we wanted a project that did um, fit in and complement the existing residential neighborhood. Um, this is the site plan, it's the landscape plan and maybe what I'll, we've talked about some of this, but I'll point it out and, and, and if there's additional questions, uh, we can come back to it. The entrance is off of Broadway we have some small entry monuments which identify the entryway. You drive in and the open space children's area is immediately in front of you. As Stefan described, these are really low 36 to 48 inch kind of climbing structures on a big play structure. And per, to um, clarify, this shows the, the what we're proposing for asphalt versus uh, pavers, which the pavers would be just in the parking area. This corner, there's an additional um, area for seating, either to watch your kids or maybe just get a little bit further away from, from your unit and enjoy some fresh air. Uh, the bike parking short-term is under these trees here. And then the long-term, as was mentioned, is here next to the trash. We have a central common open space, gathering space. And I think what's nice about this is the front doors engage the space we have windows off the units that engage the space. And so it's activated um, by, by the units themselves. And then each unit also gets a private rear yard, which is accessed off the rear. So that's kind of how the site plan is, has been developed both architecturally and then with some landscape elements. You saw this view previously. Um, it's kind of the entry, the parking. This is the kids play area. We're looking at the four unit building, unit building B, and this is turned around looking at, at building A, the three unit building. And I think this starts to, to show how we've used the roof forms, which are prevalent in the area, to start to identify individual units, express the individuality. And then we're also complementing that with materials and colors. Colors are more earth tone and neutral, again, to fit in, fit in with, with what we see um, in the area. The windows are casements and single hungs, prevalent in, in the area we work with staff to eliminate some sliders. And so we have all windows, proportions and types of windows in terms of operation that you see in the neighborhood. This is another view that I, I want to speak about briefly. And then I have a slide at the end that, that relates to this. We have these entry canopies and um, early on, we had some discussions with, with planning 
And I was under the impression that we needed to um, try to conform to all of the objective design standards. And I believe we have in, in, in this design. But one of those elements is that the front doors need a five foot covering. Um, and in this design, you know, we didn't think porches and things were appropriate because of that central open space. We wanted to keep it as open as possible. So this is showing a five foot canopy um, on each one of these units. Now the distance between the front doors is about 27 feet, which isn't bad, except when you start to enclose it with 10 feet of overhang. So I, I think the scale of these elements are a little bit big for the scale of the homes and for the open space. So we have an alternate proposal uh, that I'll show you here in a couple of slides that I'd like you to consider, which we think enhances that. These are just the two dimensional elevations. They were in the packet, but they show the roof forms. They show our simple organized pattern um, of windows well-proportioned. We have a nice strong base on the bottom, except at the corners where we express verticality. And then we're expressing massing changes and unit changes with materials and colors. This shows the five foot canopy that's coming out at you, just flat metal canopy over these front doors. There was some discussion or question about the windows. Uh, you're correct that the end units have, have um, operable windows in the bathrooms and the interior units do not currently. But it is foresight architecture, the colors, materials wrap around. This is the rear um, with windows and doors that lead to the rear yard. A typical unit, and maybe I can also help answer or clarify the question about the ADA bathroom. Um, on the ground floor, on the bottom of this page would be the common area between the two buildings. You have a front door, you have a nice window that engages that open space. And on the rear, you have a living area, again, with a door and a window. We have a downstairs, what would be referred to as a powder bathroom. It's designed to meet ADA requirements for a powder bathroom. So we believe we can double check it to make sure we haven't missed something but the intent was to make it um, compatible with, with ADA requirements. The second floor, you go up the stairs in this area and you arrive here. We have a little home office, we call it a flex space, but the way people work now with what everyone's gone through in the last few years, we thought this could be a very usable space. Primary bedroom looks out over the open space. In the top floor, we have two secondary bedrooms. That's kind of the typical layout for all eight units with subtle differences. So this is um, the proposed canopy alternate, and I'll call it the entry canopy. So what I think might be more appropriate is to shorten the flat canopies to three feet over the front door. That allows someone to walk up to the front door, be covered if there's inclement weather and or you know something else, uh, uh, some sun, some shade, possibly depending on time of day, but primarily inclement weather provides a nice shadow line and a sense of entry. But then in between units, we would have a different element, which would be a sloping metal roof, similar to this photograph. That's our inspiration. And I think what this does is also provide some variety. It changes the eyesight up and down along um, these units. And then by pulling them into three feet, it provides the appropriate cover at the front door, but also leaves as much open space in between as possible. So interested in your thoughts on that. Um, 
But if if you were um, thought this was a good approach, we'd like to change the entry canopies uh, to this concept. So that's my short presentation. Um, Steph and I are here to answer questions or, or interested in any comments you might have. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's see, board, board member Rothenberg. Oh, thank you, uh, staff and the applicant for the very good presentation. So I had uh, three, three brief questions, uh, two for the applicant and one for staff. So I'll do the applicant questions first. So the first question is, in the referring to uh, board member Ruiz's comment about the, the landscape plans, LO, uh, 01 and 2, it, it seemed to me that there was no drive protection. It's not full construction document set yet, but given the, the accidental running of cars through the Franklin Park, which is a different condition, but still given inattention, uh, have you considered, had you considered putting bollards or some type of barrier that's, um, you know, not, not visually solid at the end of the driveway so that if someone lost control, they wouldn't run right into the play area. So that, that's the first question for the applicant. And then the uh, second question was, if you had considered the canopy, however it ends up being configured, which personally I thought both options looked um, for all the reasons you enumerated seemed seemed feasible and uh, and worth uh, worthy of consideration but had you considered the incorporation of public art into the canopy because I personally over the years have worked on several uh, public projects uh, where public art was included incorporated into the canopy and it was a shade canopy and it came out really great so, uh, if, if you hadn't considered it, I, I would ask you to consider the public art requirement incorporated into the canopy. And after you answer, I have one brief staff question. We had not uh, considered uh, incorporating public art into the canopies, but uh, we can do that. I think, uh, it, I assume you mean like a, like a, uh, CNC metal design into the like if they're ever used the metal canopies that kind of thing if it was cut cut with a particular design is that uh... well well I I I don't like to stipulate design solutions but what I'll do is I'll give this staff several examples that I know of which you can visit and you can look uh, there are various ways of of doing it and working with the artist and I I won't preconceive that but yes that's probably one but there are several ways of of constructing it. Okay, we, yeah, we'd be happy to do so. Um, as far as the uh, ballers at the end, we do have, I know we have fencing around the, the uh, play area at the end there. I, I, I suspect it, you know, it wouldn't be robust enough to stop uh, a car, but um, we're not averse to putting in uh, ballers at, uh, at the end there at all. And again, I, I, I'm not suggesting that it's a requirement, but uh, in working with staff on the on the transition from the design approved design concept to the full construction drawings i would i would ask that that might be a, a uh, an, an important consideration which it can be um in, incorporated into the thoughtful aesthetics that you apply to the project so the the question i had for staff and not to get into um i'm not asking for a dissertation on it but just to recap 
on page three of the resolution number one, the, where it says the applicant is proposing that 7% of the 28 base units or two units per um, uh, 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 board member Teague's question will be available for very low income. So, uh, uh, and um, it says that this qualifies for the 25% density bonus or seven bonus units for a total project size of 35, but this is 30. But if you compute the 7%, on 35 and then you compute it on 30 and then you compute compute it on 28 and it's kind of splitting hairs but um why are why is the number of units not based on um a higher number is is it actually based on the base number you have third you're building you're building eight but the units that are there plus the eight equals 30 right Correct. The, 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 uh, and Henry, if I may, the, the base, uh, the density bonus is always count calculated based off of the base number of units prior to, uh, oh, prior to, prior to the new ones. Correct. And we're not, yeah. we're not maxing out the, the, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the density either. So we, we wouldn't, we don't get up there in any event. And, and is, and again, just to, just to clarify, it, is it usually rounded up to the to the greater number of affordable units and 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 if it is then are those units you may have told us this in the last presentation but are those units uh, in the existing buildings those aren't those aren't two of the new eight that you're building correct okay uh, correct so it hasn't it hasn't changed from uh, mm -hmm. the Bonus, uh, application two of the existing units uh, will be due to restricted very low. Okay, thank, thank you very much. The uh, the resolution I think calls out those uh, where what lots those units will go into. Okay, thank you, uh, Board Member Curtis. You have your hand raised. Yeah, um, I just have one two one two questions. One is with the middle canopies when it rains are, are they going to make noise with the rain coming down on the middle you've got all those metal canopies across the thing is that is that going to be a, a noise nuisance or romantic to hear the noise go, the rain go rain going pitter patter but what what literally is the is the sound effect of having the metal on the canopy in a rainstorm I'll let Dan chime in if I'm wrong, but at least on the ones we have here at uh, our, our building, that that metal is pretty it's it's pretty thick uh, sheet metal, so it's it's not like a corrugated metal roof with nothing nothing underneath it. Uh, I don't suspect uh, it'll it'll um, you know have any sound to it. Okay, perfect. And and the other thing that forgive me for belaboring the point, but I, I really I got hung up on this thing and where the the garbage bins are put. In this in this project, I see the the parking lot in front of the garbage and, and storage, and so on garbage day, what happens when the garbage truck comes at, at seven o'clock in the morning? Do the do the do the tenants put out the or do the, do the homeowners put out the the garbage or do the garbage guys move the bins out? How do they get to the garbage? So especially if cars are parked there. Right, so that you'll you you one thing that kind of had to get coordinated throughout the the various iterations uh, of this, and you'll see that the ADA spot flipped 
on the side of the parking wherever the garage uh, or wherever the the uh, garbage uh, enclosure uh, was because we needed the the dead space next to the ADA spot to have a, an open aisle to be able to pull the dumpsters out uh, to the truck. So we do, uh, we will have to pay, uh, or the HOA will have to pay a little bit extra uh, uh, for uh, uh, the waste management services to uh, to pull the dumpsters out to the truck. But the truck will be able to drive down the aisle. Uh, they'll pull out the uh, pull out the bins, uh, empty, and then uh, back out. Or if they prefer, they can, you know, they can uh, pull the dumpsters all the way down the drive aisle with the truck truck out at the end. So, so that the the dumpster goes in front ways and then backs down a, a twenty foot uh, twenty foot driveway, all the way down back into into Broadway. They'll have the option as to whoever they want to do it. The HOA, you know, will need to pay for it basically, but they can either uh, you know drive down and and uh, pull the dumpsters out within the center of the the parking area there, or they can pull the the roll the dumpsters down uh, closer to the end. Uh, but it's less than 150. It's less than 150 feet, which happens to be the same same distance that the fire truck will will back up. Thank you. Thank you. I just have two questions before we open it up for public comment. Um, I guess for both staff and the applicant. Uh, first is, I see on landscape plan L1, there's lighting indicated for site wide lighting. Uh, but I'm not sure, has there been uh, clear photometric studies done to see that you do get the amount of light necessary for egress, uh, specifically since this is a lot that's um, sort of uh, deep into the site. There's a sidewalk that is the main thoroughfare to connect back to Broadway. And I'm curious, is it getting enough um, light during the hours uh, when necessary for, for egress. We have not done uh, a photometric study. We were trying to keep uh, you know outdoor lighting to a minimum given all the surrounding residents uh, and windows there, but we do have lighting both at the entrance uh, to the drive aisle on Broadway and then uh, uh, demarcating the end of the drive aisle kind of at the corners there so you'd be able to see the 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 clear path along uh the sidewalk and then there, there are also uh you know unit windows there in building two uh that you know their, their uh interiors would would put some light out there and we want to be sensitive to i guess not shining light into those units but uh we're happy to um you know consider more lighting if if uh Desired. I think if we did it, we would try to, you know, I had earlier, I think with the landscape architect had proposed, you know, potentially putting something in the sidewalk, uh, but then, you know, it's got to be mountable for uh, the fire truck as well. So I'm not sure how uh, durable that would be long-term. Yeah, I just would want to make sure that it doesn't become more of this dark alley where you have not much light in between, but just at the ends. Uh, and it's, you know, both a safety concern, but also um, just in case of emergency, if people are exiting in that direction, just, just to make sure that they have the appropriate amount of light. Anyways, the code requires a minimum number of foot candles. So, uh, you know, just if, if you, you need to just make sure that you achieve that. 
Uh, and then my second question, I guess, would be just uh, for, for staff and the applicant is, does this project not fall, fall under fair housing um, laws, basically? Or is it outside of fair housing laws? I guess the reason I'm asking this is because I, I'm kind of surprised as another board members um, spoke about board Curtis of this uh, ADA unit. And um, I'm not sure what triggers one ADA unit. Uh, fair housing typically requires all units be, be adaptable. Uh, you don't need to make units accessible from day one, but you need to make them adaptable. But uh, so this is new to me that there'd be a unit that would be called out as ADA specific. Um, Director Thomas, you have your hand raised. Is, is this something that you want to speak on? Yeah, the um, I think the confusion here is between the, the local universal design ordinance and the basic California building code. So, and that's what Stefan was talking about. The, the, the project is attempting to not only build the, meet the building code, but also um, achieve some of the goals of the city's universal design ordinance. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think I understand the city's um, visibility, visibility uh, situation and that the units are providing that, but fair housing is a federal law. And um, I, 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 well, number one, I'm, I'm just confused why one unit is 88, labeled as an ADA unit. I, I, are, you oh. saying, are, are you saying that you don't think the plans meet the California building code? Yes, that's what I'm okay. saying. Okay, all right. Well, it needs to. I, I would hope so. And, but, and, and then I, that's why I was curious why one unit is labeled ADA. Is there something I'm missing? <laughs> why one unit uh, would be designated as, as, as an ADA unit? The, the, the building code would be, uh, Dan and Hale could jump in, would be 10%. Uh, so one, one out of the uh, eight would be the, the building code ADA unit requirements. So that would be in, addi that. in addition to the city's uh, visibility requirement. Uh, I haven't seen that code section. I know for a hotel, you could do 5% of hotel keys as um, constructed to be ADA accessible, but ADA adaptable uh, for fair housing has to be all units. I think so, they are. Uh, no, sorry. That that's the accessible. I think they're all ad adaptable. Uh, I think if that's your concern. Okay. Um, again, I don't know why you'd make one accessible, but uh, all adaptable would mean that they would have to have a three-peat bath, I believe, at the ground floor, so they could be utilized by someone who can't make it up the stairs. So I don't see how the, the, any of these are adaptable. Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I adaptable not, I thought it allows for potential uh, blocking for uh, a system to go up the stairs. Yeah, you're correct. On, on the ground floor, when we speak of adaptable, first, it's a very good comment, so thank you. And we can go back and make sure we're not misunderstanding something, but Adapter would be that, you know, in construction drawings, we show details and the cabinets are made so they can pull out the center section underneath the sink. 
um, it, it, there's certain restrictions that you need to be able to do that, but they're designed with the extra blocking. You can put in the, the grab bars in the bathrooms and modify the cabinets for under cabinet um, access. And then they also have the work surfaces, whether it's a pullout drawer or excuse me, a pullout breadboard or additional under space um, accessible cabinet space. So I, I think I understand what you're saying. We can make sure we go back and double check we certainly want to conform, have to conform to the building code, want to conform to the Fair Housing Act. We can double check the requirements. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to check what your all's thoughts were. Uh, and I'm not um, disagreeing with the blocking and other uh, um, adaptable methods that one would use for kitchens and bathrooms. I'm just uh, really questioning the, the plumbing fixture to the ground level. Okay. Uh, I think that those are all my questions. Um, why don't we open it up for public comment? If you'd like to speak on this item, please raise your hands and we can call on you. Um, are there any speakers? Currently, no one is raising their hand. Okay. So with no one raising their hands, we'll, we'll, we'll close this. Um, public comment period for this agenda item. Uh, now we can open it up to board commentary and, and deliberations. If you'd like to speak on this item, please raise your hand. And currently no one's raising my hand. No, no, this is for the board. I think I can see that. Um, I, I, uh, board member, huh? Would you like to make a motion or did you have other oh, I can make a motion clarification? Too. I, okay. I, I, just responding to the architect's suggestion on uh, you know reducing the width of the canopy and maybe substituting some some sloping metal canopies. I actually think that is is a nice option to have. I don't have any objection to as it's currently designed, but I think having a little bit of variety differentiating the uh, entries of the units is, is a positive. Um, so I'll, I'll just go ahead and since I have the floor, go ahead and make a motion to approve the, the, the modification. Oh, I also want to mention, which is probably the primary purpose of this coming back. I actually like the idea as much as I not, don't have any objections to do car lifts, but I think the overall site plan by removing the lift parking and creating the permeable parking area kind of uh, is an enhancement overall to the project. Um, make it look more open space friendly. I think it's always positive. So I'll make a motion to approve the modifications to um, I guess the design review uh, with, with the acceptance of the amendment to the design of the balconies and also amendment to condition number nine, I believe, that to correct the required number of bicycle parking spaces. Uh, board member, you said balconies, but I think you meant- Oh, excuse um, me. Canopies. Canopies. Yeah, yeah, canopies. sorry, okay. sorry, I meant okay. canopies, yeah. I'll okay. second that. Um, just for the record, may I have uh, staff just restate the number of the appropriate bicycle parking spaces for the condition number nine? Henry, do you have that? Yeah, uh, so it would be um, eight long-term bike parking spaces and two short-term bike. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. 
uh, board member Cisneros. Yeah, um, I just want to uh, quickly comment that um, I agree with board member Hom. I'm like pleased with the outcome of the less parking and um, sad about the about the one less unit, but overall it seems like a, an overall uh, better result, better design. Um, and because of the elimination of minimum parking, it seems maybe more right size. And I do wonder just how many um, of our uh, recent development project applicants um, are aware of the recent changes and might want to consider that for their own project. So um, I'm just overall sharing my sentiment that um, I'm happy with the reduced parking spaces. And I also wonder about implications for the design objective standards um, with a canopy. Um, it, it doesn't seem like <laughs> this is a huge um, uh, consequential thing or impact, but it did just have me wondering a little bit about um, uh, building in some flexibility. But um, so those are just a couple like uh, global comments. Um, but with that, I, I support the motion. Uh, board member T. I, I would like to uh, absolutely agree with board member Cisneros and that staff should take a note of the change that we're approving for these canopies to be added to the list of changes to the design standards uh, in order to allow this flexibility in the future. Uh, that was a great call out. Board member Curtis. Uh, you're muted, board member Curtis. I said that um, I cannot support this project. I like the number of units. I like the design of the building, but I don't like the flow of the garbage truck. I don't like the play area under the two units. I, I walked the units on a couple of times with these plans to take a look at it from a ground perspective. I think it's it's unsafe the way it is. I think that the the entry is way too narrow for what's going on there. I think that the parking is a deterrent with the flow of the garbage. And I think that, um, I just think that the flow is unsafe. And, and that's the reason that I'm not going to support the, the project. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, I don't see anyone else's hands raised. I think um, as board member Han made a motion uh, if the board is agreeable to this, I'd like to add two other um, items to that motion. One is that uh, staff works with the applicant to ensure that this project meets fair housing guidelines. Because uh, if and and that if it doesn't, that the applicant is able to make the modifications necessary. Uh, within the plan that's been submitted. If not, then, um, and it has a ripple effect, I guess we would need to look at this again. Um, the second being that uh, staff also works with the applicant to work through um, uh, the site-wide lighting to ensure that um, we're meeting the code minimum for egress lighting uh, throughout the site. Yeah, both amendments. Um what uh, is accepted. I think they're appropriate. 
I thought I actually wanted to add another item up. Board member Rothenberg had brought it up, and I thought it was a good suggestion of uh, requiring some bollards in of the parking lot for I think for safety reasons. So I'd like to also suggest that additional amendment. Yes, which which could be integrated with lighting if necessary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the yeah. bollards. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, if staff might just jump in and add. Um, so typically during the building permit review process, uh, we will verify that meets all building codes, including uh, accessibility requirements in the building code. Um, lighting, because the city has the, and the planning board has reviewed this before a dark skies ordinance, we will also ask for a photometric study as part of the building plan. So um, those standards would be worked out um, during the building permit review. Those standards will be reviewed during um, building permit review. Thank you. Okay. So, Alan, do you want to repeat the motion with the amendments? Right. So, I uh, believe the motion is to approve the uh, design review and development plan as proposed with modification to uh, condition number nine requiring eight long term and two short term parking spaces. Uh, bollards in the parking lot, a submittal or uh, review of the lighting plan to ensure that it meets uh, the applicable lighting guidelines as well as uh, the project meeting accessibility and fair housing guidelines. And then the other amendment was regarding the uh, the, the uh, canopies and the canopies, canopies yeah. uh, having flexibility, not from yeah. right. <laughs> canopies, yes. Thank you. Okay. Uh, is did someone second that motion by board member Hong? I did. Oh, you did. Okay, thank you, board member Teague. All right, uh, Alan, why don't we take it for a vote? Sure, uh, board member Curtis. No, Cisneros. Aye. Hong. Aye. Rothenberg. Aye. Teague. Aye. Vice President Rees. Aye. And President Sahaba. Aye. That motion passes six to one. Okay, thank you. Moving on to the next agenda item, 7C. And this is a public workshop to review and comment on the draft housing element update and zoning code amendments for Park Street, Webster Street, and commercial areas to accommodate uh, regional housing needs allocation. Uh, we have a presentation um, for this workshop. Good evening, uh, President Sahaba. Andrew Thomas, Planning Director, and um, I'll be giving the presentation tonight. The, um, this is a public workshop to take review and comment on draft zoning amendments for Park Street and Webster Street commercial corridors. Um, this is all part of our continuing effort to meet our regional housing need and update our housing element. Um, we believe that with changes to the zoning on Park Street and Webster Street, that we can um, induce construction of housing. Um, there has been no housing built on Park Street and Webster Street for 40 years. Um, and we th and there are our transit corridors, there are commercial corridors um, from staff's perspective, ideal 
area to try to encourage more housing to meet our regional housing needs, which you all know, we are looking for sites for 5,353 housing units um, over the next eight years. Um, so we don't actually think that we can induce very much housing. Um, we are hopeful that we could um, get about 250 to 300 units on Parks and Webster Street. Um, that's a big increase over what we've been doing over the last 50 years. Um, we've done zero. Um, so the idea here, and the reason it's limited though, small sites, most sites actively being used. Um, uh, and a bunch of individual ownerships. So uh, very hard to accumulate larger parcels um, and a lot of uh, very few sites that are um, either very few sites that are vacant and um, a limited number of sites that are underutilized or might be subject to redevelopment um, over, the next, over the next eight years. Um, nevertheless, uh, it meets, ticks all the boxes in terms of uh, general plan goals. The city's had it in its general plan goals for that same 50 years that we should be encouraging mix of uses on Park and Webster Street, transit-oriented design, um, housing over commercial on Park Street and Webster Street. So um, what we are proposing in this zoning is to uh, eliminate the multifamily prohibition so that you can have more than two units uh, in a single building above the ground floor retail. Uh, we are proposing to eliminate the 21 unit per acre limit. So you can have as many units as you, as you want, as long as they're not on the ground floor. They have to be above the ground floor and um, they have to be within the envelope of the, of the zoning, meaning the, the height limit, the setback requirements. So it's all about the form trying to preserve a certain form on Park Street and Webster Street, a certain size of buildings and massing of buildings, but not regulating how many units can go in each building. That's the basic approach. Um, in terms of the park, so both Park Street and Webster Street are, um, are uh, zoned CC, Community Commercial. So they have the same zoning district, but the zoning district um, provisions make some distinctions between the two. Um, in terms of actual what uses are permitted, they're the same, but in terms of building heights, the, the zoning district already makes distinctions. Essentially on Park Street today, the, height, the zoning code allows for uh, 60 feet along the corridor and a lower, I believe 45 feet on the side streets. Park Street zoning district stretches out. For example, down Santa Clara, it stretches for a block in either direction. Um, uh, and then on other, some of the side streets. Um, same with uh, Webster. But um, so for Park Street, we're proposing to just have a uniform um, 65 foot height limit. So that uh, basically on the side streets were some of our best opportunity sites, such as the CVS site across from City Hall, um, one of the largest single sites that might get redeveloped over the next 10 years. Um, that's on the side street. 65 feet gets you um, four to five stories. Um, the buildings out of Alameda Point are 65 feet. The, um, uh, those new buildings on what Ralph Apizado. The height differences on Webster Street are more complicated and complex. And um, Mr. McGuire provided a nice little um, set of slides, which I'm going to share right now. These, the concepts for these height 
um, limits were, were actually developed not by city staff, but by the Webster um, Business Association Design Committee. So um, I want to acknowledge their work um, on this change to the Webster Street. Um, web, uh, let's see, can I, I'm sorry, let me see. I need to, can I share screen, Alan? Let me see, share screen. Okay. There we go. So Webster Street stretches from uh, Atlantic, Ralph Apizzato, the intersection there with the Cross Alameda Trail, all the way up to Central. Um, and uh, uh, at, the, at, the, at the south end, the basic height limit is three floors, 40 feet. Um, Today, you can't do multifamily housing in these buildings. Um, and if you can get a vacant site like the Taylor lot, which is a Taylor Webster, that project under our current densities and with a density bonus was able to get nine units total. So never, that's one of the reasons why that property is still vacant. Um, the, the building was three stories, just like this cross section, met the height limit basically, um, but is not being built. So the proposal um, is essentially to graduate the heights up from the his, what's sort of considered the historic core. The historic core goes from central to, um, I believe it's Buena Vista. Um, the, uh, on the north side, no, the south side of Central, which is where Neptune Plaza is. That is, um, we are, that is a site that is a potential housing site. The property owner has expressed their interest in developing housing over the next 10 years on that site. Um, and um, so the staff proposal here is, to essentially allow for uh, a fourth story as long as it's set back. Um, this will give a total height limit of, as you can see, about uh, 55 feet. Um, the setback, as you can see, and the drawings were done by Daniel Hoy. Thank you, Daniel. Um, the design, uh, the WABA Design Committee essentially established this concept of, you shouldn't be able to see it. If you're that little person on the left-hand side of the slide, you shouldn't be able to see the four stories. So set it back so you can't even see it. Um, so it is effectively that building looks like a um, three-story building. Um, staff is proposing that we just establish a uniform 10-foot setback. That's what the red bar um, really represents. If you had just had a 10-foot setback. Um, what that does is, as you can see from the drawing, you will, if you are standing there, you'll see the very top of the of the building, peeking over the over the um, over the cornice. But it will be set back. Um, then moving moving north. So now we cross the street, and we're heading on Webster Street. And this is really the historic core of the um, of, of Webster Street, and it's from Central to Lincoln. Sorry, not Buena Vista to Lincoln. Um, Essentially, keep the existing height limit, um, allow two floors of residential above commercial, uh, but remove the multifamily prohibition and remove the density limit. 
Then as you're moving south, now you're moving south towards the College of Alameda past Lincoln. This next block, which is Lincoln to Pacific, um, allow it to step up. What, did I, what, what happened there? I'm sorry, I lost track. Yes, okay, as you move south, now you allow for an additional floor, but it has to be set back, set back 10 feet. So it wouldn't be set back as far as shown in this drawing. It would be set back at the red, at the red vertical line. Um, then as you move another block, Pacific Buena Vista don't require the setback. So the buildings, if every block were developed um, over time, your buildings would start to appear larger and be larger as you move south towards the Cross Alameda Trail um, and move further away from the historic core. And then the next block, stepping up again, this time with a setback. This is from Buena Vista to Eagle. Um, and then the final block, Eagle to Atlantic. This is where the hotel is, which is another, we think, um, opportunity site for housing. Um, the Webster Design Committee recommended a double setback at this point. Um, staff is recommending just a straight height limit um, of 77 feet, no setbacks required. So the red line illustrates the staff recommendation as shown in the zoning. Um, our thinking here is um, you're the furthest away from the historic district, this last block, you're across from a wide cross Alameda Trail, Atlantic corridor across the street is the College of Alameda and those large spread out spaces with the taller buildings. Um, and with this step back on, and then you're looking at it from two sides, it's very much gonna dictate if a building this size were to be built there, it's very much gonna dictate the shape and architectural style of that building. We just think it's an, it's an opportunity for a really a landmark building, a landmark design entry to Webster Street as you're coming from Oakland. Um, from staff's perspective, the, the double setback just didn't, didn't seem necessary and also felt like it was being a little bit too managed about the way or predetermining the, the form of that building um, as it sits there at the entrance to the Webster Street Commercial District. Um, with that, I think, um, I have hit on the main points. Um, I'm uh, staff, myself, Alan, Brian McGuire, Alan Ty, we've all been working on this together. We're all here to answer questions. Um, where your feedback will be helpful to us tonight from the public and the planning board. We will then go back to the offices after tonight's meeting with the input that we've heard tonight and we'll be revise these ordinances accordingly but there will also be, be, we'll be making similar changes to the C1 district, that's the neighborhood districts. Um, and there is some on Park Street as well. Um, so this idea of how do we encourage more housing in these areas while maintaining particular urban form. And then also the North Park Street zoning district, which is the portion of Park Street from Lincoln to, um, the, the Park Street Bridge. So we haven't drafted those yet, but what we thought we would get your feedback on, 
on this approach with the CC district, if these approaches and strategies work, or if you want to adjust them, or think there's a better way to do it, then we will take those basic principles and guidance. And that will, that will inform how we do the C1 zoning and the North Park Street zoning. Um, just for those uh, who might be watching, who may not have been to previous workshops, the goal here is to get a housing element and the basic zoning amendments in place and before the city council by the end of this calendar year. So we've been moving a lot of different zoning amendments through the public workshop process with the planning board. They will all be coming back to the planning board for a final recommendation um, before they go to city council, hopefully this fall. Thank you, President Sahaba. And that concludes the staff presentation. All right, thank you, Director Thomas. Um, quick question before we go to the, because there's uh, the slides that you had shown. The last one, you it said 77 feet in section, but 85 feet at the, at the label at the bottom, which, what, what is the proposal? It's a little confusing. Um, based on yeah, and I want to written. apologize too for the staff report. I know that all these things were in the staff report, and they was it was unreadable in the print copy. So um, yeah, um, that up. Brian, you, you're going to clarify that for us. Hopefully. Is this yeah? I think just two quick corrections. The 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 black text on the slide is from the Waba suggestions. The yellow text below um, is the and it matches what's in the staff report and in the draft amendment. So that last block staff was recommending so 85. 85 feet, um, which I know we talked about last time with the shopping centers and how that sort of it transitions from one type of construction to another. And the other correction, I think that's useful um, for the public because there were several comments. Um, uh, there there's a, a colon where maybe there could have been a semicolon in the draft amendments and some folks were misinterpreting that. And obviously we were intending to permit multifamily dwellings um, in, in there and not limit the types of dwellings to just the, the ones after that clause. So like senior housing and, and shelters and whatnot. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Um, before we open it up for public comment, if there are any important questions or clarifications, uh, Board Member T. Um, so looking through the, the draft zoning changes, it looks like there are some things in there that are not related to the, the arena. Is that, am I seeing that correctly? So there were things like shelters and other things that are not. No, that's absolutely related to the arena. So when the regional housing need, we have to deal with fair housing issues as well as okay. the actual numbers. And okay, because I know that there was some state laws that said we had to change our zoning independent of the arena and that we have seen those in previous things. I was wondering, was that also in this? That. The, yes, I mean, the state law says you have to do these zoning changes to allow these uses in these kinds of districts. Our housing element, we need to, we have to do a, as part of the housing element, the next draft, you'll see with all the appendices, we have to evaluate our zoning for the state to tell okay. them what's deficient and what's so, not. So and there's, what we're do to fix there it. are, there is indeed two pieces. Yeah, we think of it as the arena, which is the numbers, and then fair housing, which is all the changes to your zoning that you need to do to ensure that you're providing fair Thanks. and equal access to housing. Thanks. Uh, Vice President Ruiz. 
Um, thank you for the presentation. Um, we're just going through quick questions, right? Clarifying questions, right? Okay. Um, That's correct. So can you, um, Andrew, can you please confirm that the current Webster height is uh, 40 feet? That's across Webster, or is there undulate? Any kind no, of field? It's uniform on Webster. Uniform. Okay, great. I'm right and about then, that, right, Alan? Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay. And then um, you mentioned that uh, the guidelines that you received was from WABA's design com committee. Has their recommendations been vetted and, and approved by um, Webster's property owners? I don't believe so, no. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you, board member Hahn. Thank you. Uh, you're muted, board member Hahn, if you're speaking. Okay, I I was had my speakers on and I unmuted myself. Okay, I went the opposite. Uh, just one quick question. Um, and I think I know the response, but I just want to be clear. The existing height limit is 40 feet. And we're talking about moving it up to 45 feet. Um, is that primarily because you know some of these buildings have parapets and it's difficult to meet the 40-foot height limit? Um, or is the intent also to uh, allow for an additional story? The first. We okay. I'm correct on that, right, Alan and Brian. I mean, we raised it from 40 to 45. And that was because we felt we needed the 45 to get a three-story building. The idea has always been, you know, the current zoning, if, I, if I'm correct here, it's, I know it says three stories, 40 feet. I think it's 40 feet. We felt the 45 made more sense and would give a little bit, well, a healthier ground floor, you know, if you want a nice ample ground floor commercial space and any kind of parapet, you're probably going to need to go over 40 feet. Yeah, ju just That's to add right. to that, it also adds, you know, the ability like those those residential floors can maybe have a little bit higher ceilings in them, which uh, which reflects in the in the DABA document. Also, you can see the the floor heights on the upper stories are a little bit higher as well, accommodated by that extra five feet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think just as a rule of thumb, anytime we're talking about ground floor commercial, viable commercial space, whether it's retail use or restaurant use, you'd always want at least a 15 foot ground floor clearance. So that's what we're factoring in. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know that ideally you want like 14 to 16 feet for that ground floor retail. So they could be a spaces. Yeah, all that makes sense to me. Yeah, I just want to clarify to make sure. Thanks, uh, board member Cisneros. Yeah, uh, thank you for the overview. Um, uh, I should know this, but okay. So Webster Street is a historic district. And what does that mean exactly in terms of um, restrictions and I don't know, like all the things? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And it's a, um, it's a strange answer. Park Street actually has a designated historic district. Webster Street does not. Park Street Business Association over the years and the city has treated, 
uh, there's a park, uh, there's a historic district of Park Street. So uh, changes in that district do go to the Historic Advisory Board. Um, because most of it is um, fully developed with stores and active uses, you know, there's been very little change other than minor modifications that have gone to the historic district over the years. But the height limit has been 65 feet all along, or 60 feet. Um, and there's been no distinction. Webster Street doesn't actually have a historic district designated, but the WABA design committee, you know, as you, as you walk down Webster Street, you're very conscious of central to Lincoln. It has that historic character. As you start walking going beyond Lincoln, it starts to break down and you get to the different kinds of uses, the, the street wall, um, the historic facades become less frequent. So they, the, the sort of historic core in quotations on Webster Street is, is not an official designation. It's, but it is, I think, a pretty good, the maps that they did and the, the delineation, I do think kind of if you walk the street, it, you do sense that historic core on Webster Street. Perfect, thank you. Uh, thanks, Board Member Rothenberg. Well, thank you for the presentation. And my, my question had also to pertain to the uh, topic that Board Member Cisneros just brought up about the, I guess it wasn't completely clear to me, but I wondered if you had, I'm sure you have, but just to clarify that you uh, took a look at the thoughtful comments from um, the Alameda, um, the Architectural Preservation Society in regard to the increased heights outside the historic districts. I guess it wasn't completely clear why they were, they varied so much from Webster to Park, but I think Director Thomas, you just explained that because the setting of the historic different district has a diff different re reference point, but would, would it not be um, uh, relatively appropriate appropriate relative to the heights in each of the historic districts to increase heights outside the historic areas. Uh, that was um, that was my basic question relative to the um, the you know the appropriate development along each core. And my other question pertained to uh, Mr. Rosenthal's uh, comments that he submitted regarding Neptune Plaza, whether you had considered that and all of his thoughtful comments, which make actually make a business case that apply to what is appropriate in development and it's not a one size fits all, that increasing height limits for development consistent with the multifamily overlay for other shopping centers is probably appropriate to Neptune Plaza as he as he proposed in his comments. So those were my two uh, questions. Yeah, I am um, on the Neptune Plaza question. Yeah, we, I've had um, several um, email exchanges with Mr. Rosenthal about his property at um, Neptune Plaza. Um, I think, you know, it, what, what we, is in the staff recommendation, frankly, I think is a little bit of a compromise between what the WABA design committee would like, which is to keep it right at three stories and what Mr. Rosenthal would like, which is um, uh, a height limit and a density that's, um, or a height limit more, more similar to what we're considering at the shopping centers. Um, so we sort of split the baby um, 
and, and kind of came in somewhere in between. Um, and, and I think our proposal, the idea was, I mean, there is some, you know, there are not any, uh, a lot of tall buildings around Neptune Plaza. There is right across the street from um, the, the historic core of Webster Street. So, you know, we did feel like it could be higher than the historic core, but maybe not as, as high as some of the height limits that we're looking at in those shopping centers. Um, if your question, I think yeah, if I understood your question correctly, had we considered on Park Street doing a more varied height limit similar to what we did on Webster Street, right. recognizing the historic core. Um, no, we did not, um, mostly because, really for two reasons. One is we're trying to make the case with our housing element and with our zoning changes that we're removing constraints to housing. So um, we could also package that with some constraints to housing, but from a, from a, HCD, let's get our housing element certified perspective. We're ex expecting we're going to have a lot of things to debate with HCD. Mm -hmm. um, so at this point, um, you know, we would prefer not to introduce a down zoning in some areas. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, if we, uh, but I think it's still worth talking about. I mean, if you permit multifamily by right, which you don't now in that historic district, you remove the density standards, which you have in place now. I mean, that's an upzoning in the historic district. So maybe if you add to that mix a reduction in the height limit, it's not a downzoning, it's a moderated upzoning. I mean, you know, I, I it, it, but to be honest with you, we, we really wanted to get just, this is, this is our first take at this. Like these are, you know, so if that's something the planning board thinks we should pursue um, along the lines is what we did with Webster Street with the Welba district, that's it's certainly we could do it. Use a very similar kind of approach. Yeah, thank you. That, 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 that seems like a thoughtful way to approach it um, as noted in the letters. But just one, just one response on um, Neptune Plaza. Uh, just, just so I understand, uh, to clarify, making the case, I thought that you were making the case that the heights, the, it was a, it was a, the compromise was relative to the height, the, the reference heights of buildings in the area. But I would ask, comparatively speaking, uh, the relative heights in the other shopping center areas, heights and densities, are equally low. Mm -hmm. Right. Even though the other shopping centers may not be at the at the end of a of a historic area, in fact, the, the reference the height reference points are low in the other shopping centers too. Yet, yet they you, we still make the case to develop them appropriately for their setting and consistent with that the housing and other um, business and commercial uses. Yeah, I mean, for the easiest thing for me is to think about similar buildings, for example, at Alameda Point, um, four-story buildings, three stories of residential over one floor ground floor. Um, those are 60 to 65 feet tall. Um, if that top floor were set back 10 feet, that's essentially what the staff recommendation is. Um, just conceptually, visually, 
you know, that seemed like that would fit in just fine across the street from Krogan's. No, not Krogan's. That's Montclair. Um, Kroll's. Um. That's true, but I'll just... So I'll we, just we could certainly, if, yeah. if the planning board thinks we should go higher, that would certainly incentivize and help the economics for housing. Right. So. I would agree that that the business case is a, is is in the public benefit, but it's also mm -hmm. in the in the private sector benefit because if we render, if we if we have a, a meritorious goal, which is also statutory requirement to um, diversify and increase our housing, but it's foreclosed by the by the inability of the business people to do it, then it doesn't serve the public very well. So. If we could take into consideration the business case for the people that own those properties, as Mr. Rosenthal mm -hmm. made a business case, and he did it in a reasonable business-like way that is worthy of, of um, uh, thoughtful deliberation. Okay, thank you. President Sahaba, may I... Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, may I share a graphic to show what a Please. 65 foot tall building might look like um, here in the city? So if I could just share the screen. Um, what I'm sharing with you is a uh, part of the plan set for the phase one of the Alameda Marina master plan project. What you're looking at here is the approved building. It's under construction um, at the tallest point of the, the five-story building, it's about 60, 65 feet. And then the four-story building here is um, over 50 feet tall. And so you could kind of see, um, it's a rendering, but um, I think it's pretty uh, accurate uh, depiction of how uh, multifamily building of those heights would appear um, sort of in the neighborhoods along the interface. So, so again, about 65 feet at the top of the parapet here on the five-story portion and um, over 50 at the four-story portion. I thought it'd be helpful okay. just to visualize what that would look like. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, I guess Alan and Andrew, are all heights in the city measured to the top of the parapet or top of the roof? Uh, it's the highest point. It would be at the highest point. Of the building, okay. typically, par I mean, if there's a parapet, be parapet or top of the roof. I see. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Any other questions or clarifications before we open it up for public comments? Uh, I don't see any at the moment. So, if you'd like to speak on this item, please raise your hands. You'll have a three-minute time limit. Um, and if we could have the first speaker, please. The first speaker will be Betsy Matheson. Thank you, Betsy Matheson, Alameda resident. I'm excited by the return of residential over commercial on Park and Webster streets. That configuration makes good use of space, enlivens commercial areas, and has the potential to extend the visitor attracting historic feel of Alameda's two downtown streets closer to the gateways at the estuary. 
I'm also pleased to see the emphasis on visibly active uses in storefronts rather than office space concealed behind frosted glass windows at street level. I hope we can also discourage opaque storefronts for other uses like the historic photographs along the front of the former Walgreens at Park and Lincoln. Those provide no eyes on the street and no comfort to pedestrians scurrying past to more populated areas. Opaque front windows at street level have no place in Alameda's downtowns. I encourage you to limit building heights as outlined in the letter from the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society and to require step downs adjacent to existing residential properties. Both Park and Webster Streets bisect populous residential areas that would be adversely affected by tall buildings on their property lines. In addition, the greater the allowable height, the greater likelihood that a piecemeal streetscape will develop as some properties with narrow street frontages are redeveloped and some are not, resulting in a look like a jack-o'-lantern's teeth. Biking home from Jack London Square along the Embarcadero on a sunny day last week, I was shocked to pass into a cold shadow cast by the new residential buildings at Brooklyn Basin. The buildings created an unpleasant microclimate. I don't want that for Alameda's downtowns or the adjacent residential neighborhoods. So please accept the AAPS recommended, recommended building height limits and step downs. Thank you. Thank you. Could we have the next speaker, please? The next speaker will be Karen Bay. Yes, thank you. Um, good evening, uh, President Sahaba and members of the planning board and staff. Um, so, and thank you for the clarifying uh, questions and comments. Um, it was a little confusing when I was reading zoning amendments because it looked like there was a down zoning of the Webster Street District as per page two of 11, they removed uh, dwelling units and changed the definition for multifamily. Uh, multifamily units. So it sounds like that's been corrected. Uh, thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> I, I believe that the height limits and the zoning changes should be the same as Park Street. Um, if we're going to remove constraints and make it um, easy for developers to, to, to have uh, feasible projects, I think it should be the same. Um, and it would remove the confusion as well. I view the Webster Street Central <clears throat> Avenue area and the Webster Street Atlantic area very similar to the North Park Street District. It's on the edge, the edges of uh, Park Street and Webster Street. And it's, these are both great opportunities for high density development. Um, also it's proximity to two ferry terminals, um, AC Transit and BART and the future Central Avenue safety improvement project. So these are great areas for uh, uh, development. Finally, um, I support the Neptune Plaza Shopping Center getting a multifamily overlay um, uh, and all of the changes that the shopping center owner is requesting so that he has 
a feasible project. We can make all these changes, like you said, um, but if we can't pencil it out, then we have no development. And so I would love to see these uh, areas uh, develop developed. Um, and I think that this is a, a great opportunity to, to upzone uh, our, our zoning amendments rather than downzoning our um, zoning for these districts. So uh, thank you very much, appreciate it. Thank you, next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Josh Dyer. Thank you, um, members of the planning board uh, for, the, for the opportunity to speak. Uh, I am really excited um, to finally be hearing about the ways that we're gonna upzone uh, our, our main streets in Alameda. Uh, it brings to mind all, all of the potential that we have as a community that we're not realizing right now. Um, we have the, these amazing historic commercial cores that are well served by transit and that people, people frequent all the time and yet they are limited intrinsically by the dearth of, of housing within walking distance. We could do so much better. We can have so many more um, enlivened, busy storefronts if we have the people, if we have the people living near them who can walk there. Uh, we could, it, that means more business for the farmer's market. It means more, more foot traffic for restaurants on Webster Street. I had, as, as you all were talking about Neptune Plaza, I had this fantasy about um, having, having a first floor commercial um, with, with three or four stories of residences over it and having part of that commercial space be set aside for childcare or preschool or um, daycare. Um, there is this crazy short, um, shortage of space uh, on the island, uh, I was uh, one of my kids' um, daycares imploded um, while while they were there, and we had to find another space for him. And there's just so few. We there's so few spaces on the island where you can have that kind of facility, um, and it's incredibly limiting. Limiting, especially considering that many people come here buy housing here so that they can raise their kids in this environment. Um, there, this now and finally we have the opportunity to put these amenities that we want and that our community wants and deserves in the places where they belong, where people can walk and bike and take the bus, not add to traffic, um, stimulate commu uh, commercial activity. Um, it's, it's a really exciting time. I'm looking forward to see what gets built there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Alex Spear, or Spear. You're muted, Alex. Alex, if you're able to speak. Uh, 
Okay, I don't believe Alex is able to connect on audio for some reason. Uh, if he raises his hand again, we could try him at the end, but why don't we go on to the next speaker? The next speaker will be Jay Garfinkel. Good evening. Um, I noticed in the uh, architect's rendering uh, that uh, Mr. Tai showed the um, five-story buildings appeared uh, maybe twice as tall as the nearby two-story buildings. So perhaps that rendering needs to be redone and more give a better perspective. Uh, as far as some of the uh, new construction on Webster, it isn't clear to me that there will be any parking uh, provided, possibly because of some recent mandate that parking need not be provided to uh, residents. Um, along these lines, I would urge uh, the city to eliminate all of the staff parking at City Hall. The area is well served by public transit and there's no reason why staff working there can't take uh, buses to City Hall. They'd be setting a good example. Um, and finally, I learned today that there are several planning boards in the state that are focused on preserving what the citizens want um, in contrast to simply working on compliance. And it seems to me that maybe this, this board here should be renamed as the compliance board and the director should be the director or office or compliance officer. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Next speaker will be Harvey Rosenthal. Uh, yes, good evening. Uh, I'm Harvey Rosenthal, I'm the owner of Neptune Plaza. A historical core has been described along Webster from Lincoln to Central with proposed development of two stories of housing above ground floor commercial space. While the blocks between Santa Clara and Lincoln have continuous storefronts oriented to the pedestrian street and a number of historic structures, the blocks between Santa Clara and Central have many fewer historic structures interspersed with parking lots. These two different segments of the historic core should not both have the same height restrictions. Going south from Santa Clara, there should be staggered ascending heights similar to what is proposed on the other side of Lincoln. This would frame the heart of the historic district. Because Neptune Plaza may be the largest developable parcel for multifamily housing along the corridor, height limits for this site need to be increased, not diminished. Five stories of infill housing over commercial have gone up in nearby cities. Five stories over commercial space has been proposed for the other end of Webster and would be appropriate at the south end as well. For a property to be sold for multifamily development, the economics have to make sense. The size and number of units to be built have to justify the sale given the tax consequences and expenses such a sale would entail. If the math, if the math doesn't work, the project cannot be built. Along Central Avenue, there is already a three-story apartment building next to McDonald's. Across from Neptune Plaza at 615 Central, 
An apartment building approaches the height of a five-story building with ground floor garages below three stories of housing and a parapet that extends above the roof. That building was probably built in the 1920s or 30s. It's now almost a century later and the housing shortage is acute. It is time to increase building heights so that significant new housing can be built in the Webster Corridor that so many Alamedans support. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Zach Bowling. Evening planning staff. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to speak in support of um, staff's proposal here. Um, I'm uh, kind of reviewing the numbers of potential units and just kind of doing some napkin math. I think um, I think staff's on the right track here with the the height and the setback requirements that they're looking for. Um, so I, I I'm more in favor of what they're proposing over what WAB is proposing, um, just so that we can get to the total units that we need to for Rena. Um, so I'm highly in favor of uh, what they've got in the current um, resolution text. So um, looking through most of this, I'm actually kind of excited for just um, redevelopment along Webster for um, building a more walkable neighborhood connected highly to transit. So I, I'm really excited and bullish on, on adding lots more housing in this area um, and not curtailing that uh, with unnecessary setbacks. Um, and I think a lot of the comments that I wanted to say were kind of already said, so I'm going to spare you and uh, just well, have a good night. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Christopher Buckley. Christopher Buckley with the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. Um, we sent you a letter and like to go over what we think are the four main points in the letter. Uh, first and probably most important is the interplay of the staff proposal and some alternatives we have in the letter with the state density bonus law. You know, we think that the staff proposal for unlimited residential density within existing building envelopes or building envelopes established by height limits is a good and a promising strategy but we're concerned that with the state density bonus law, you can you know, build buildings that are over the height limit. And if they get up to perhaps 60 feet, like on Webster Street with a density bonus project, that uh, new buildings could ex that exceed the height limit could visually overwhelm the historic portions of both Park Street and Webster Street and erode their sense of time and place. We attached a photo to the letter uh, showing a newer five-story building next to an older two-story commercial building to you know, illustrate this impact. So the WABA proposal does include a two-track approach for residential density that may provide this assurance relative to the density bonus law. So we asked the planning board to seriously consider that proposal. By the way, I don't see the time limit displayed on my screen. Can somebody show me the time limit because so I can pace my remarks? Yeah, you got about uh, two minutes. Well, okay, I'd still like to see it on the screen. Um, not sure why it's not. Yeah, I don't see it. Um, so let's see. So, so, we're, so the, the, the WABA proposal is one way of doing this. Another strategy um, 
to de-incentivize de density bonus projects that exceed the height limit could be to amend Alameda's ADU ordinance to allow a high and possibly unlimited number of ADUs in targeted locations, such as Webster Street and Park Street with no increases in the existing base zone density of 22 units per acre. The ADUs would still be credited toward the RENA and in, we believe better promote the city's objective of facilitating smaller and more affordable units than the typical density bonus approach. Now, the legal viability of both the WABA and ADU strategies, as well as the staff proposal, we think needs to be confirmed. And so we ask that the planning board direct staff to seek to ask the city attorney and possibly outside experts to confirm the legal viability of these strategies. Our second uh, main comment is that we support the WABA proposal and urge the board to do the same. Um, including the provisions that staff has omitted or changed from WABA's proposal. But again, with a qual with qualification that assurance be obtained that the unlimited density option in the WABA proposal would not be subject to the density bonus law. Third, um, the draft height limit text expresses height only in feet, deleting the number of stories. We ask that the number of stories be retained since a 40 foot or 40 foot high building could be four stories rather than the existing three stories. It should be clear what the number of stories is expected. Uh, fourth comment concerns the height limits. A couple of speakers have already mentioned that and regard primarily Park Street. We're asking that the existing three story, 40 foot height limit, five stories with 60 foot without use permit be retained for Park Street south of Ensignal and properties that do not front Park Street. I have other comments on pipe, but I've run out of time. They're in the letter. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Next speaker will be Therese Hall. Hi, uh, good evening, planning board. This is Therese Hall and um, one of my big questions was, is <clears throat> we're calling these a public workshop, but how are you notifying the public that this is actually taking place? Two, is there a place, Andrew, that you could post the presentation so that we could all go and review it and maybe discuss it amongst ourselves and get back to you with, uh, with comments? Um, I do see that as a, as a big issue. I noticed that the last public workshop that you held um, I saw it in the, uh, I think I saw it in the Sun or the journal that came out on Friday. You held your workshop on Monday. Um, so I would like to know how people are getting notified. Um, another thing is um, I'm very concerned about uh, the creation of microclimates with these height, with these height limits, um, <clears throat> both for shading and for wind tunnel, wind tunnel creations. I'm, I don't wanna see Park Street or Webster Street turned into something. I mean, we're not the San Francisco financial district and to have everything shaded out, um, it will impact businesses. So that was another thing. And then I continue to hear, um, I continue to hear that we wanna limit uh, vehicular traffic and we really wanna push for, uh, for transit. I'm all for that, but it seems that everyone seems to be forgetting about uh, uh, disabled people, and <clears throat> I'm just hearing about able-bodied people, as there are many of us that have a very difficult time getting around, and um, no, 
biking or a half a mile of walking is just not possible. So I'd like you to keep that in mind when you're planning these. And um, the idea of a parking lot is, uh, it would be a great idea. Um, so I think those were, were my comments. And most importantly, just someplace that we can go for a repository of information and maybe a better public notification so that the public can participate in these workshops. Thanks. Thank you, next speaker. Next speaker will be Marilyn Alwan. Hello? Yes, we can hear you. You can hear me, thank you very much. Um, good evening. Uh, one thing, um, I wanted to thank you for the correction of the typo regarding multifamily dwellings. That was uh, one of my main concerns. And so thank you for that clarification. Um, and the other thing that I would like to say is that I do support the Neptune Plaza um, being treated as all the other shopping centers in the city. Um, it is at the south end of Webster, but it's along Central. And I see it as an opportunity for housing and um, Central at that quadrant back and forth a couple of blocks. There are a variety of heights. And I think that um, if the business person who owns Neptune Plaza can do the numbers and make it work, I think that we would benefit from it. And I do not see that uh, we would be, that it would benefit the city if we limit his opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, the next speaker will be Alex Spear. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, um, I'm Alex Spear, and I would like to express my um, approval of the staff's proposal and an encouragement to upzone, um, especially uh, Neptune Plaza. And I am looking at this picture of this five-story next to the three-story, and this five-story only looks bad because it doesn't fit architecturally. It looks like some block design building dropped down into the middle of our historic district. Now, if we want a historic district, we should enforce that in our building code, which hopefully, I don't know if that's possible or not, but I'm really um, shocked to find that we don't have any kind of a historic um, protection on Webster Street. And it's all just kind of pearl-clutching. If we're, oh, height, density. Well, hello? There's no historic district there? Um, upzone it, please, so we can have housing. And I hope there's, you know, can we add some historic preservation stuff? Because uh, what, so coal can get knocked down and built with, what, a one-story building? Because that's less dense and people like that? I, I don't know. That's not what we want. Um, and I, the one person commented about disabled people. Well, disabled people use motorized wheelchairs and they also use sidewalks and they use transit. And I, they don't necessarily use cars. Um, Lyft maybe, just like the rest of us. Um, anyway, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker, please. 
The next speaker will be Daniel Hoy. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. My name is Daniel Hoy. I'm on the design committee for uh, West Alameda Business Association, also on the board of directors. I want to thank again, uh, uh, Andrew Thomas and the rest of the staff for helping us out with uh, diagrams and putting together all the material today has been very helpful. I think we need a little more time as a board to uh, canvas the, the, the ownership of the buildings and the parcels in our district so that we can um, help them understand what the repercussions are, of the, what staff are proposing. The pace of all these changes has just been so rapid fire. We have not had hardly even a chance to discuss these changes amongst ourselves, let alone the parcel owners. I think it'd be very valuable to be able to reach out to them and say, this is what we're anticipating. Is this agreeable to you or is this going to uh, make a problem for you in the future? We don't want to create a, a guidance here that we're going to regret at some point. Uh, so if there's some way that Andrew can work with us in, a, in, a, in our own workshop way that, that gives us some uh, possibilities to reach out to these folks, it would be very helpful. So far, it's just not been able to happen due to the timeline. Uh, we're looking forward to working with Andrew some more on the diagrams. He's, he's taken our diagrams and overlaid his own thoughts on them, and we need to be able to provide some feedback, and I'm hoping we have the time to do that. We've got some concerns about those diagrams right now. Uh, thank you again for your time, and uh, we look forward to continuing to work with them. Thank you. Next speaker, please. And last speaker will be Drew Dara Abrams. Hi, good evening to planning board and staff. Um, I had the opportunity to email in some comments and um, I've heard some of these echoed by other speakers already. Uh, so I won't uh, reiterate too much, um, but I did just want to speak very broadly towards the overall goal of uh, increasing height limits uh, on the two corridors, um, expanding to side streets and looking for real opportunity to bring some more density um, of a variety of uses to both of the core uh, business districts. Um, I, I did want to point out that I think the, the state density bonus um, is useful for thinking about here. The overall goal, the stated goal is to encourage developers to build more affordable units on site and to find ways to make those pencil within the site that they're building. Uh, I think that's exactly what uh, we should be pursuing. We should be looking for ways to have um, uh, units built by private developers in these two key areas that bring a mix of amenities, of ground floor active space, of market rate residential units, uh, and uh, affordable units at a variety of price points. Uh, and if, if a developer makes use of the state density bonus to achieve that, more power to them. Uh, finally, I'd just like to add that 
I really like seeing some of the very small ingredients that could be used for uh, improving the pedestrian experience on the two corridors. As some other speakers have mentioned, everyone is a pedestrian, even if they arrive by car, they're a pedestrian for the, the bit of their journey when they're going from that car to the front of the store. The city's worked very well to build out its new parking policy and including provisions for folks who uh, need motorized wheelchairs or have accessibility issues. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to the combination of these um, zoning changes together with that parking policy. Um, I'll end on the note of I, I hope we all can think long-term. Um, might take a few decades, but hopefully someday park, um, excuse me, hopefully someday Webster will have a BART station and hopefully we're, we're putting in place a mix of uh, facilities that can really take advantage of that for people who live here today and in the future. So um, thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. Uh, with that, this closes the public comment period of the workshop. Uh, we could have board conversation um, and um, discussion. Board member Teague. I'd like to thank staff and everyone for contributing on this conversation. So last uh, Thursday, there was a subcommittee meeting uh, and we had a uh, lively discussion about how to address the measure A versus our housing needs versus fair housing. And, you know, I'd like to thank staff for having that discussion because it has helped me clarify what I believe is the needle that we can thread in order to make this path a lot clearer for people to understand why we're doing different things and how we're doing it. And that's basically, I would really like us to use housing needs overlays to deal with the multifamily density issues as opposed to changing zoning directly. Yes, in the end, it is the same because you add it all together and you figure out what the result is, but it allows us to be very targeted as to what we are doing where. And, you know, one overlay is not enough. Sorry, Andrew. Really, it's, I, I see there's five. And I know that uh, uh, one is what I would call fair housing overlay. And that would be allow up to four units per building across the island. And that allows us to have people in the large houses in the Gold Coast who want to divide their property into four units, they can do that by right. The small parcels on Park Street that wanted to do residential, allow them to do that because today they can't. They can't actually have more than that many buildings because the parcel's too small. Uh, Brian McGuire suggested something which I absolutely loved, which was the idea of a transit overlay and taking the lead from SB 10, basically the transit overlay would be something like allow up to 10 units per parcel for those people on the transit corridor. And it doesn't matter how big your parcel is, you can do 10 units. 
And that can be quite a huge density. The multifamily overlay like we have today, which is, you know, the density is X. A high density overlay, which is what we're talking about for the shopping centers. And a commercial overlay, which is really talking about allowing the development of above the ground floor residential, which is what we're talking about for Webster and Park and probably some other places where we want to have retail on the ground floor or commercial on the ground floor and residential above it. And then that allows us to change the zoning to deal with the things that aren't related to the multifamily and the density that that comes in from their overlay, but we can control all of the rest. And this is a tried and true process for us to deal with meeting our housing needs directly. And it's a directly tied action through the overlay like we have done in the years past in which people seemingly are amenable to the idea of using an overlay to do this versus changing a general zoning. Um, and I think that that is what we really should be moving forward and it makes it a lot simpler because we just talk about what is the definition of the overlay and then where does it go? And it makes the question clearer and more direct for people to understand. And so, because the zoning as it is with all of these changes of definitions, it, it is a lot for someone who isn't involved with this as much as all of us to really understand what does that mean? And I think that this is a way that we can move forward and bring in all of the people of Alameda to the idea of meeting our housing needs and why we're doing it. I would love to hear from my fellow board members what they think of this idea because it would be direction to staff. Um, so that's why I raised my hand early so I could ask that in your commentary, you comment on this. So thank you. Thank you, board member Teague. Uh, board member Curtis. Okay, I <clears throat> I just wanted to say that um, I think that that staff did an incredible job with um, the analysis and, and the hype that they put out here for what they did. You know what? But the bottom line is is that we can have a demand for as many units as we need, but the reality is, what does it take to get the units built? And what it takes to get them built is the ability for the developer to come up with a viable plan where he can acquire the property and build it to provide units that, that provide both the lower cost housing and market rate housing where there's a fair profit to be involved and there's enough of a, of a, a price differential that there is a market. And in order to do this, you got to have the height. You got to be able to build a number of units to make it work out. And it's a, it's an interesting balancing act between um, what what Mr. Rosenthal was trying to say is that I've got to have a piece of property that pencils out to provide the units that will give us what we need. And what Mr. Buckley is saying is that we want to keep the integrity and the the aesthetics to keep the neighborhood characteristics the way they are. And and 
the, the, the difficult part is to keep both of those things in line and keep everybody happy. But the bottom line is that we can do anything that we want to say, this is the number of units we can do, but if it's not financially viable, it's not gonna work. And the only way it can be financially viable is to provide enough units so that the cost of the acquisition of the land is cheap enough to make the unit viable. And in Alan's suggestion is great. I don't fully understand it and right now what he's saying and I have to sit down and, and look at it, but I do know finance. And I do know that if something doesn't pencil out, it's not gonna get built. So, you know, rather than having a moot conversation of saying what we should do or what we shouldn't do, the reality is, is that the staff has done a hell of a job of analyzing what needs to be done and they did it. And, and thank you staff. And thank you everybody for your comments. They were really helpful. That's it. Thank you, uh, Vice President Ruiz. Um, thank you staff for the presentation and the committee for your work. I know this is a huge undertaking and also I wanna appreciate gratitude to, to the public who come up today and providing your feedback. And um, just, um, Alan, just wanna answer your question. As a practitioner, you ask about overlay zones and in our daily practice, I dread to see overlay zones because that just means more things for us to research. And um, inevitably there's usually conflicts and for practitioners try to figure out which one is more practical. Um, so that's just you know, my honest feedback. Um, but if that's the way to comply, to thread the needle, I understand. So just kind of right off the bat, him addressing your, your comments on that. And a um, few comments on, first of all, um, I appreciate WABA Design Committee's willingness to discuss their proposal with the property owner. I think that is the must. You need to service the property owners before you come out with a recommendation. And in your recommendation, I would advise that um, in drawing, I believe there's a value in stepping back the building. However, how, how that step back needs to is derived should be from sun and shadow, uh, shadow study not from sideline because sideline is a, it's not unified. I mean, hate to say this, but I'm very sure from my vantage point, I can't see anything. So uh, we need to just look at the, what kind of street life we're creating. And is seeing the top of a building set behind a historic facade such a bad thing? Not necessarily, times change, just to let you know that there's something behind it. What we are doing is contributing to housing. So seeing the building behind a well-preserved facade is not necessarily the bad thing. Stepping a building so that we can provide sun into the streets and create livable streets, that is important. So I would um, strongly encourage you look at other um, um, cities and how that they derive that step back diagram. And in terms of, um, I, I agree with the public comments that uh, for buildings, for example, in San Francisco building under um, taller than 40 feet, you have to do a shadow study. We need to know how it's casting shadow against adjacent properties. So that needs to be a requirement, at least in my opinion. Um, 
Then another general comment, um, Andrew, you mentioned that the idea is not to govern the number of units, and yet I see that we are also prescribing um, minimum amount of units. And unless we do, we have a maximum allowable density and also minimum. I would say removing that just allowed a maximum density. And because we don't know, we didn't do a study on all the sites, right? There's all these different circumstances when you try to apply a regulation into the real world practice. So I, I would like to understand why we also set a minimum threshold if that's even necessary. Um, I'm in support of um, eliminating the stories and only give the high limit. I do think that um, we should keep Webster and um, Park Street at the same height. Um, if Park Street is having 65 feet, give Webster's feet, Webster Street the same high limit rather than you know, stepping up and down, especially if you look at it block by block, there may be just one or two buildings that's really of historic significance, um, especially when Webster doesn't really have a historic designation. If the building owner really want to preserve that, they can apply for historic um, designation. I mean, support of Neptune Plaza. Um, previously, I know we discussed of pulling that out of the NF overlay zone, but now in further discussion and further review, I'm in support of putting Neptune Plaza as part of the shopping center NF uh, overlay zone so that we can increase the, increase the density. Um, more specific questions for you, Andrew, is um, I was wondering why under permitted use um, dwelling was crossed out and under use permit use, uses that require use permit, why do we delete um, share housing? Um, so those are just the questions I have. Thank you. Otherwise, you know, I know this is a huge undertaking. Thank you for all your work. President Sabu, would you like me to answer those questions now or wait? I think it'd probably be good if you answer the questions now because it may inform other board members' oh. questions and comments. The the striking of dwelling units and the rephrasing of dwelling units, the striking of shared housing, um, it caused a bunch of confusion for a number of people. And it was really just the process of um, drafting the text and straightening out the zoning ordinance. The basic idea is this, multifamily housing permitted by right and the, um, the fair housing other categories like residential care, Brian's showing it here on the screen at the bottom. So what we did is this is all multifamily dwellings, residential care, senior and residential care, large shared living, all of these things. They're all the kinds of things that are required under fair housing law to be permitted, permitted by right in this kind of zoning district. So we put them all together. They're all the things that matter to the to state HCD and that we need to be super clear that we allow by right um, as long as they're above the ground floor. So we put it all together there in KK. At the top of the page, you can see we deleted the reference to dwelling units when the units are located in the structures also containing non-residential uses. 
Um, and that's just to, so you, we just list it in one place in the ordinance, we list it all together. Um, we could have modified subsection U to reflect everything in subsection KK instead. Um, uh, and that, that might've been clearer for people. Later on in the ordinance under conditional use permits, this is the conditional use permit section, we had to strike shared housing and dwelling units because you don't need a use permit anymore. We're making them permitted by right. So that's why in this section, dwelling units was, stri was struck in because this is the use permit section of the ordinance. And then further down, I think shared housing was also allowed with a use permit. But Actually, but when you put it under a use permit is if it's above the ground floor. What no. was struck? Well, go back, go back to KK. The idea here is all these things can be, are permitted by right as long as they are above the ground floor. Well, okay, so, all right, so this is under. Is this, this the is permitted a, by right section? Um, no, this, this, is, this, this is use permit. This is use permit. Okay. So in order to have oh, the oh, residential okay. use on the ground floor, that's when you need the use permit. Use permit. Okay, now it's clear. By right above. That is clear. All right, thank you. Because in the commercial zone, we want to prioritize ground floor space for commercial uses. Right. And then just really quickly on your other question about minimum density. Um, we're proposing to not have any maximum density. So just building form. Um, that's, um, we did introduce the idea of a minimum density of 30 units the acre. You don't have to have that. The reason we did do it was for two reasons. One, under state housing law, 30 units or more puts, is in a different classification. That is assumed for a metropolitan area. Now you're talking about units that even if they're not deed restricted are gonna be more affordable. Um, so if a zoning code says we have a minimum density of um, 30 units the acre, meaning we're not gonna have single family homes, we're not gonna have low density, more expensive townhomes. We're not going to have buildings with just a few big units. We're going to have higher density development. Um, it counts as a more affordable housing product under state law. So it helps from your housing element perspective. Um, those were the, that's kind of why we have it. We don't have to have it, um, mm -hmm. but it, it helps us with getting our housing element certified. Yeah, I just worry about the applicability of it. You know what? Here's what we do know. We've we've we approved a project on Webster Street, the one mixed use housing project that we have actually reviewed. The planning board has had an opportunity to even try to approve. It was a density bonus project. Um, it was a total of 26 or 27 units the acre. And it that project just has not moved forward. Um, that just the form of the building, three stories, ground floor commercial, two stories of residential above on a corner lot, the Taylor lot, not huge. And that's not an acre. It's, I think it's about a, about a third of an acre, um, half an acre, wait, seven units was the base project. So a third of an acre. Um, some of those units are two stories. The volume of the building, if you just, if you only allow seven units with two bonus units for a total of nine units. A three-story building is gonna have two-story units in it. It's, the units are huge because that's the volume of the building. And we wouldn't, we couldn't with the 21 units the acre plus the density bonus up to get up to 26, um, you still only get to nine units on a 
on a, on a, you know, on a, like on the Taylor lot, which for Webster street and park street, especially in the historic districts is a good size lot. Um, so, so we, we're so pretty sure that under, if you go under 30 units the acre, you're, you probably don't have a viable project either. Right, but that, that should be a financial decision determined by the market, shouldn't be by zoning code. I mean, why well, I are we setting, I think, yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I just don't know why yeah. we're setting minimum requirements because then, then if somebody can meet that, even I say, you know, I don't know, somebody had a lot of wealth and just wanted to build something just for the sake of doing it. Now I'm all speaking hypothetically, but by us setting a minimum, then we get zero. Because, because, they, can't, be, because, because they won't need it because they can only give you 20 units. Let's say if the Taylor project, that Taylor, uh, Taylor and Webster project, you know, they can take the project, they have the finances to take the project off ground to build it. It wouldn't be feasible under this law because it doesn't need the 30 units. So I'm just trying to look at it from no, the I, other I side totally, of the coin. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Now, if they do build it, if our zoning does allow it, it just means we have to acknowledge with HCD that there is that potential that you will have units, low density development occurring with large units. So we just wouldn't get the credit for the affordability. That's all. Understood. Okay, thank you. Board member Hall. Yes, thank you. Um, I appreciate staff analysis that uh, went through this as well as the comments from Waba, the, uh, the Preservation Society, very thoughtful comments. Obviously, what we're trying to balance is the historic core, preserving that character, but also seeing where uh, residential density can is logical. And my overall taking on this, the more flexibility we can put to allow for residential uses at the appropriate locations, I think that's moving in the right direction. The, the bottom line is, you know, we haven't had any residential development of any significant nature along Webster or Park Street. And I think part of that is due to the restrictive zoning that we have in place. Um, and, you know, certainly Measure A. Uh, and I think these two corridors are ideal for housing. Um, you know, I know there's a focus on height, but I really think that you know, the more residential units you allow on these two corridors, the more vibrant this uh, neighborhood can be, this corridor. If you kind of have create really nice, attractive storefront buildings, create more walkability, I think it should just add to the vibrancy of the corridor. And I'm not sure height is really such a, you know, concern, especially at the, at the Northern end where you're kind of like, north of Pacific or north of Lincoln, where it's a very auto-oriented look. So I don't think that allowing for more flexible height, uh, more flexible developer opportunity to design some nice mixed use of residential buildings on those blocks uh, would really deter from the historic character of Webster Street. Um, certainly having some height restrictions in the historic core makes total sense. So that balancing of kind of being restrictive where it matters, but being less restrictive where it matters less. And if that can help promote uh, greater residential density, I think that makes a lot more sense. The other, other thing, when you look at the street widths, you know, that 
from Central to Lincoln, the street character is a lot narrower with the street improvements. Once you get north of Lincoln, you know, it widens out to like a four, five lane street. So I think that should be taken into context when you think about height. And I really think that, you know, have that kind of wedding cake step look, making that a requirement just could be the opposite of what you really want. You know, I, as was stated earlier, I think the key is good design of the buildings, attention on creating a really nice pedestrian streetscape environment, regardless of whether the building is 50 feet or five stories, four story, that to me is more critical than the absolute height. Uh, so that's kind of my thinking on that. The only place, I think Waba brings up a good point that I think uh, um, my staff might take a look at. I, I think removing the lower height limit you know, once you're like 30 feet, I forgot what the distance was away from the main court or Park Street or Webster um, makes sense, but perhaps some type of stepping might be considered where a building might abut next to a residential district might make sense uh, just for a tr providing a transition. I, I really support the idea of, of eliminating density. You know, I think, uh, controlling the height and the envelope of the building is more important. For instance, you know, what goes on in the interior of the space, I'm thinking, okay, with density, you know, it forces more, say a two bedroom apartment, you know, is that better than allowing someone to do two studios? You know, I think allowing for the smaller units can help promote more affordable housing, which is part of our goal also. Um, the only place that I was thinking why there's a 30, unit minimum um, is because it relates to the arena. I, I believe that you can't count a site to allow for affordable units if it's under 30 units per acre. So um, not that that's the justification, but that's a key purpose of meeting the arena. You can only count sites that are minimum 38, 30 units per acre to count for to assign some affordable units to those sites. Um, one of, the, one of the other comments is, um, is the, the density bonus law. I think uh, Chris brings up a good point. I've always been, a question in my mind is, if you eliminate the dense, uh, density number and just rely on envelope, what, you know, how, does it, how does the state density ball? law applies. You know, does it not apply because you have a limited density or will HCD interpret that there's still some density bonus opportunity to exceed the height? So I think that's a good question to, to get clarified as we move forward. Um, I, I, I know there's comments from WABA about wanting more public comment. I saw this as a workshop. We're not making any decisions. So I'm sure staff will do, be doing further work outreaching to uh, the affected property owners uh, before this comes to a vote uh, for recommendation for the planning board. Uh, so I think the final comment, I guess, to uh, respond to Alan's comment, I, the concept of overlay districts, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, the concept doesn't bother me is how you apply it that makes them, you know, makes the most sense. It makes it more complicated in my mind. However, if from expediency standpoint, 
that that is uh, that's what the community would like to see. I'm open to it, but it does, in my opinion, just add another complexity to the development standards. So to me, it's just the devil in the details. Where does it apply and what does it mean? So anyway, those are my comments and thank you for all the work thus far on this. Thank you. Um, Director Thomas, did you want to respond to something? There's well, I just, I, or maybe I, why don't I wait? I'll, why don't okay. you go okay. through with everyone? And then I just, the two, the overlay and the density bonus ordinance, I just wanted to address those two issues, but I think I should wait. Okay, board member Cisneros. Thank you um, for the discussion and uh, for the public for their thoughtful comments. Um, I uh, wanted to respond to uh, board member Teague's um, uh, thoughts. Um, and I unfortunately wasn't at the last subcommittee meeting. It was the one before, uh, before that one. Um, so too bad I missed out on that lively discussion. But um, I, I have uh, so much respect uh, for you, board member Teague. And um, I uh, agree that overlays are um, could be a very useful tool. Um, and with that, I, uh, for me, I agree that they would, you know, go to the um, same end result, but it's like, it's a principle thing for me almost where um, with, with Article 26, uh, just having the ability to um, address this directly with the zoning, um, it, it seems important. So, uh, for that reason, I, I like the staff recommendation um, uh, because I, I, I think it, it should be personally addressed more directly. Uh, but again, I, I'm not against the concept, so I, I am open to their discussion. Um, but I just want to respond to your, your overall suggestions re related to that. Um, and I um, also... Um, agree with some of the board members about allowing for more flexibility on Webster. It's uh, not technically a historic core. So, um, you know, for that reason, um, I appreciate the compromise put forward in the staff recommendation. Um, but um, I, I, you know, just going back to all the reasons why these two shopping centers are so great for residential. We have um, the transit and um, they've been underbuilt intentionally for 50 years. So, um, you know, for that reason, I, I think it um, makes sense for us to be maybe more flexible um, in allowing for residential on Webster. Um, and I really appreciated the public comment uh, about allowing for the density bonus here because we want affordable housing. And for that reason, um, I am a little bit concerned about this uh, 30 dwelling units per acre um, minimum about removing that. I appreciate um, the comments said so far. And I, I just wanna make sure that um, we're doing what we can to encourage affordable housing um, in these two uh, commercial areas. Um, and then for the Neptune shopping center, uh, I think it's fine to maximize 
that site if it is in fact an opportunity site for housing. So um, I'm, I think I support um, the property owner uh, for going up so that it's feasible. And I really like board members um, Ruby's suggestion of, uh, you know, having the, the property owners um, have their discretion to uh, do what they want with their property. So if in fact they want to preserve it, then they can apply for that preservation status accordingly if they want to keep that um, uh, that status. Um, uh, I think those are all my comments. Okay, thank you. Um, oh, okay. Board member home, you don't have your hand raised, right? Okay. Um, so, yeah, Andrew, before you jump into this, I guess I'll just make a few comments of my own. Um, I think that in general, I appreciate all the work that the staff has put in and obviously the depth that the folks on Webster Street have gone to to really analyze their cross section of, of different blocks to understand what's happening. I think um, in general, I'm more in favor of no density limits and looking at it as a way of just looking at really uh, similar to Park Street, a consistent height limit throughout Webster. And, uh, you know, over time, some things will stay the same, some things will change, but I think the diversity will be good. If we try to um, micromanage block by block, I think that just complicates things and complicates things for the owners of the various sites who have different blocks there where there's no consistency um, from their neighbors a block away to what their potential ability is to do with their site. I think uh, what I've seen most successful is just um, like we've talked about, ha have FAR limits, if you'd like, and then height limits and density will be what folks decide the market demands as far as, you know, market rate units, micro units, uh, senior housing, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, that's left to really what, um, folks want to do as far as how, how, how they want to develop their, their properties. Um, I do think a consistent height through Webster Street would, would be really helpful in this um, goal of creating more density over time. Um, I will say that, you know, once we do height and no density and do it to the specific districts that we're talking about, there's probably less need of an overlay, but there may be need of an overlay in some of these other districts where we have tighter limits, um, specifically like board member T was pointing out with some of the single family housing zones and such, I think an overlay makes a lot, lot of sense. So um, in my mind with the, with the community commercial or, or these districts that we have that are more mixed use oriented, uh, we, we can take a more simplified approach on how to tackle these. And, you know, it's natural, like um, the, these, these areas are the opportunities to create density and things, you know, sort of taper off from these more intense corridors that we have, um, which, which I think um, have already 
been established as as major corridors within the city. Uh, so that that's really the way that I would um, see it, and I think that with the staff's um, I guess development of how these um, how these standards would get applied. Um, I think like Alan pointed out, clarity on how, what height you need for ground floor commercial, um, which, which we have established. And then above that, um, you know, really there's uh, a lot of variation that uh, one could do because of just the height limits that will be inherent to, to that um, district. So those, uh, those are my comments. Andrew, you wanted to add? Um, yeah, is that... Well, first, I just want to say thank you um, for taking the time, everyone, to talk about this. And the public speaker is super helpful um, as well. So staff is going to, you know, we're going to work on a second draft. Um, we will definitely work with, uh, continue to work with both the Downtown Business Association on Park Street, as well as the West End Business District, WABA. Um, and we can certainly make ourselves available to do meetings, um, you know, as I've as we've said, WABA already has put a lot of time into this and we're willing to just keep working with them on this. Um, a couple just clarifications. And, and then, you know, I think we've probably worked this enough tonight unless there's more. Um, density bonus ordinance. It's a state law. We can't make it go away and you can't draft zoning to make it go away. It's one of the public speakers said it best. It's like, it's a state law that basically says if a developer provides, is offering to provide a certain amount of affordable housing, they get to ask for concessions and incentives and waivers. It's a way of, 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 of basically empowering folks and developers who are having financial issues to come to the city and say, I'm having a financial issue with this project. Um, it might be because of the height limit. It might be because of the density standard. Um, so there's no way to structure zoning to make that state density bonus go away or guarantee that nobody will ever ask for it. Um, it may have nothing to do with the height limit. It might have to do with the 15% affordable requirement. I mean, there's just a, a whole number of things that can be triggered um, if a project's not viable because of some standard that we have developed. Um, so um, the... Uh, the overlay, the it, we can structure the zoning changes as as we have in the base zoning, or we can do it as an overlay. It, it's it's no harder one way or the other for staff to create, but we still have to all figure out the same. But we all have to figure out the same tough questions. Whether we, it sounds like everybody agrees we should allow multifamily housing. That's probably the single biggest issue that has prevented any housing from being built on these corridors in 50 years. Number two, seems like everybody agrees that 21 units the acre is too low. Whether you wanna set a minimum of 30 units the acre, interesting question. I think we need to go back and think about that and talk about that. Um, uh, we do, I think the unlimited density or no density standard is, um, something that we're very interested in pursuing. And just to answer the question of state density bonus, Berkeley for many, many years, um, at least since I worked there, which was 20 odd years ago, has a number of, of districts that don't have density standards. 
they have published their whole set of guidelines on how you do density bonus when you don't have a density standard. It's basically based on floor area, number of units. Um, it's not complicated. Um, and state law also acknowledges that um, there will be, um, you know, even uh, zoning districts without residential density limits are subject to density bonuses under state density bonus. And you basically figure it out based on floor area, number of units in the base project. Um, the, um, so, um, you know, so like I said, whether we come back with an overlay zone or whether we just come back with zoning amendments, we still have to struggle with the same, same questions. And I think the big question really is, you know, the heights and how do we best handle heights? Um, and that's what we've been talking about. We'll go back and think about this. I think, um, you know, should, you know, the sort of consistent height limits versus versus the very tailored height limits um, is something that's very much what Webster Street came up with this very tailored approach to height limits. Um, I think staff's initial reaction, we all were kind of like, wow, that's awfully tailored. That's awfully prescribed block by block, height limits changing. Um, but, um, you know, we thought it was an interesting proposal. Um, something to think about and whether we should make Park Street more varied or whether we should make <laughs> Webster Street less varied. Um, that's, I think, the big question that we're going to have to sort of think through and we'll continue to work with the two business districts and um, come back, come back at a future date with a more refined proposal. If there isn't anything else, I mean, this has been super helpful for us. We've taken, I've taken a lot of notes, Brian and Alan, we meet every week and work on this stuff. So this has been great to get the input of the community and the planning board um, to help us for the next step. Thank you. Yeah, great. All right, well, thanks everyone for um, the discussion. All right, so we'll move on to the next um, item in our uh, for our meeting, which are the minutes, uh, which we will also have public comments if there is any after each um, uh, review of, of our draft meeting minutes. So let's start with the first one um, for December 12th, 2021. Did anyone have anything to state on this prior to opening it up for public comment. Uh, Board Member T. Uh, so somewhere down where it says, Board Member T had questions about ADUs. Uh, there's a typo. I don't know what SBP is, so I bet, I imagine it's SB9. Okay. Anyone else? No? Okay, if you'd like to speak on this item, please raise your hand and we can call on you. Uh, are there any speakers for this item? Currently, no one's raising their hand. No? Okay, so we'll close the public comment period of these, uh, of the minutes for December 12th, 2021. Uh, I move uh, approval of the minutes as amended. Okay. So I we second. have a motion. I second. second. Okay. 
Uh, let's go ahead and take it, take it to a vote. Board Member Curtis? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Hom? Aye. Rothenberg? Aye. Teague? Aye. President Ruiz, uh, Vice President Ruiz? Aye. Me, and President Sahaba? Aye. That motion passes unanimously. Great. All right, next item 8B, uh, the draft meeting minutes for January 10, 2022. Uh, does anyone have any comments or corrections they'd like to offer up? Uh, Board Member Hall. Yeah, thank you. Um, in, under the item regarding, I think it was 7B, excuse me, maybe. Regarding the shopping centers, uh, the overlay uh, zone discussion uh, in the minutes, it, 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 it says uh, he also questioned how the parcels would work uh, and the state density bonus law. I, th I think to clarify, I think my comment about how the parcels would work was really about um, with, with the parcels being developed individually, how it relate to an overall master plan uh, or overall development plan for the shopping center is kind of what my comment was. Just wanted to clarify that. Okay, thank you. Uh, anyone else? No, okay, let's open it up to public comment. If you'd like to speak on the draft meeting minutes of January 10, 2022, please raise your hand. Do we have any speakers? Uh, currently, no one's raising their hand. Okay, so we'll close the public comment period for this item. Uh, would anyone like to make a motion? I move approval. I'll second it. Okay, let's take it to a vote. Member Curtis? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Hom? Aye. Rothenberg? Aye. Teague? Aye. Vice, uh, Vice President Ruiz? Aye. And President Sahaba? Aye. That motion passes unanimously. Okay, great. All right, moving on to the next um, agenda item, staff communications. Uh, anything on the planning, building, or transportation department, recent actions and decisions to report? Uh, nothing from staff, unless okay. the board has questions or comments. Okay. And then 9B, oral report, future public meetings, and upcoming planning, building transportation. Yeah, so uh, at your next meeting, um, we're hoping to bring back uh, annual report on the CARP, transportation uh, choices plan, and then hopefully to continue our housing element workshops. So we just have a lot um, going on. That's Got my it. only update for future meetings. Okay, thank you. Uh, written communication, we have a letter, HCD letter dated 11-29-21. Yes, so uh, this is the letter that staff has been talking to you about. Uh, this is in response to questions that we have asked HCD um, specifically regarding um, Article 26 in the city charter. And so uh, we're, uh, I don't believe we've sent this to you, um, 
So this is the official transmittal. Yeah, and I remember asking for that. So right, thank you. Thank you. Okay, thanks for sending it across. Uh, I don't know if anyone has any questions or comments on it, but as um, we got it. Okay, board communications. Um, board members may ask a question for clarification, make brief announcements or brief reports on uh, his or her activities. Uh, in addition, the board may provide a referral to staff for other resources for factual information or request staff to report back on body of subsequent meetings concerning uh, city matters. Uh, is there any board communications? Uh, Vice President Ruiz? Um, yes. Um, I just want to kind of bring to the staff's attention as we move to electrical, all electrical buildings, especially for multifamily, um, there are some practical um, application challenges that we're seeing in the field. Um, all electric buildings require much larger transformer rooms. And in zero law line situation, it would affect um, the transparency of ground floor because um, transformer rooms or where the transformers are placed, they have specific requirements. And luckily we're not under PG&E's jurisdiction. PG&E has really strict requirements. Um, I, I, I'm asking the staff to look ahead, work with Public Works and work with AMP to see how to cohesively, collectively work out the rules and regulations so that when the project comes in the door, when that electrical code or electric building comes in effect, that the we all departments are ready to address and anticipate the challenges they're facing. Thank you. Thank you for that comment, board members. May I just quickly, um, President Sapat, may I just quickly comment on that? Um, Yes, so the city does have an interdepartmental electrification working group that is um, looking at these issues. Um, and board members, if you have specific examples of where there are pitfalls, please email them to me and then I can share them with that working group. So, yeah, I will, we, can, uh, we can chat offline. I can give thank you some examples. Right. Thank you. Anyone else have anything that they would like to discuss? Um, no? Okay, great. Um, item 12, oral communications. Anyone may address the board on a topic that was not discussed on the agenda um, by raising your hand. Do we have any speakers? Currently, no one's raising my hand. Okay. All right. Well, that will be the end of this meeting then, and we'll adjourn. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Thank, Good night. thank you very Thank you. much. Happy Take Valentine's care. Day, everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.